It's a sled. He's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vader's his father. They're allergic to water. She's her sister and her daughter. You watched it wrong. Remember when everything seemed just fine? When life seemed like a pleasure cruise? Sure, we might hit the occasional storm, but it could always be sunny again in the very next shot. Life was just one big party until the tsunami took us by surprise. This big, ugly, swelling movement that came from underneath built a huge tower of itself and turned our world upside down. We keep hoping for a big blue wave to come and flip things back the right way again, but it just never quite seems to come. And now we're being led by this asshole who insists he's the only guy who can save us. And, but he also seems to believe in basic science and he proposes solutions that actually work. And now I'm confused. Like, is he leading us to hell or to salvation? Does this kitchen full of jets of flame mean that I'm being gaslit? But wait, what's this? A spark of hope? Coming... A ray of light coming from above? Are we actually going to get out of this mess? Or are we just going to have to face everything we've lost along the way? And the fact that this fucking boat is still upside down. And and the fact that the brownest thing on this boat was the wood paneling all along. <laughs> ah. Ah. Oh, well, enough politics. Instead, I'd like to talk about the Poseidon adventure. Here on You Watched It Wrong. I'm Siggy. And I'm Wade. And this is the podcast where we talk about a movie to death until it's dead. So Flip it upside down and scratch its belly. But first, let's do a little round of our now traditional game show segment, Track Marks. Yay. Now, let's see if I can, see if I can get the, the game rules right this time. Okay. I hadn't thought about it. Come on, channel okay. your Alex Trebek now. Do, do, him, oh, do him the honor. Do him proud. Uh, okay. See, now you put the pressure on. <laughs> track marks is the game where the contestant is read the list, the names of the track listings on a movie's soundtrack, like on the back of a CD, if you will. Not the songs, but the soundtrack score. Yes. By the composer. The musical credited. cues, oh. if you will. That's right. Through context clues, the contestant needs to guess which movie the hell I'm talking about. So, do you want to go first? Or do you want to go second? I'll go first. I'll take. Uh, okay. I'll take your offer. Um, all right. All right. I have made a selection here, and I am going to read these in track order. So I'm not shuffling. Ooh. I'm not trying to sort these okay. by hardest to easiest. But I am going to set a par four. Ooh. Okay. Track one. Never an absolution. Amadeus. No. Well, that's, that's a good ah, guess. Darn it. Okay. Distant Memories. I, you know, Amadeus is one of the ones I... It, it, it sounded like a Siggy pick. ...was going to do. It's, it's, it's mostly just the <laughs> names of Mozart pieces. Right. <laughs> okay. Ode to Joy. <laughs> that's, that's Was Beethoven. that Beethoven? I don't know. It's uh, Beethoven, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> track two, Distant Memories. But what was the second one again? Distant Memories. Oh, that's the second that's one. Okay. 
No, never an absolution. Distant memories. Southampton. Rose. Titanic? Yes. Oh. <laughs> you know, I was going to go, I was going to do Towering Inferno, but I thought it was a little too on brand for this one. Good. Sweet. I was hoping we get to take her to see Mr. Murdoch. And I thought about blanking out Rose, but I'm like, well, maybe out of context. It'll yeah, nice. yeah. The, the, uh, um, I remember being very frustrated with the Titanic soundtrack because I had it. And all I really wanted was that Irish below deck party music. Oh, yeah. You know, with the, the boater and the, shoot, I can't remember. Probably the name a the, reel. And, and they did, they, they, on the second soundtrack release, they put it on there, but they only put it on there with the sounds from the movie with everyone hooting and hollering. Oh, really? It drove me nuts. Because <laughs> I'm like, I just want that music. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, <laughs> okay. Very good. Awesome. What was that? Was that. Above par? You hit par. Par exactly. I hit yep. par. Okay. Well, I was going to try to choose between a par five or a par eight, so I want to go for a par five for this. Ooh, okay. Oh. All right. I did not put these in order, but I usually try to stack them to guide you through it rather than to try to trick you. Okay. All right. <laughs> so let's try it. You're generous. All right. Oh, here we go. Here's one. You're, my you're son. generous, and I'm just not very good at this. No, no, you're much better than. Hey. All right. So here we go. I almost just read the title. <laughs> That's very generous. That's mm. exceptionally, right. excessively. Even. First one. I think you flooded it. Oh, wait a second. Right. What's that, Dex? You rushed it right. I rushed it right. Okay. Thanks, Dex. Let's wait. Let's wait till the peanut gallery clears. All right. First one. First track. I think you flooded it. Okay. Rip, rip. 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 Rip, rip. I feel like Ed McMahon when I do that. <laughs> okay. Can of beer. Whenever I think of Ed McMahon these days, I only think of Randy Quaid on Saturday Night Live doing Star Search and eating Alpo from a can. Uh, <laughs> like the camera cuts to him and he's eating Alpo from the can and washes it down with a Budweiser. Really that's, that's all Quaid? I think. Wow. Mm hmm. I don't remember his uh, stint at all. Yeah, he was in that uh, Damon Wayans, Robert Downey Jr. years, I think. Oh. Or no, he was in the Joan Cusack, Robert Downey Jr. No, no, it was Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah, I don't remember. Hmm. All right, sorry. Okay, so I think you flooded it. Rip, rip. rip. Jailbreak. Okay, jailbreak. Um, stir crazy. Ooh, good guess. Wrong era, but not necessarily wrong aesthetic. Oh, now I'm getting contextual. Oh, oh now you're getting, getting meta clues. Well, I think I did that because I'm going to apologize for the next word I say. Uh, oh, I don't like uh, saying oh, it. Okay. Next word I say is the next track title, as listed, is "bitch out." Oh well, that's we can we can we can say the B word. I know. I just don't. I don't like it. Okay, now we're at this. Next one is par. Uh oh, pressure. The trunk scene. The trunk scene. Uh, well, I mean, it could be someone sneaking out of jail in a trunk. Uh, it could be um, the trunk of an elephant that's being flooded with water. <laughs> um, it's also a bitch. 
Dang it. I said that. Um, trunk scene. Okay, all right. Uh, go ahead. Keep, just keep all going. Right. The drive to Ripley's. Well, Ripley's? Wait a minute. Well, Rip. Okay, well, Alien, but there's not a lot of driving in uh, Alien <laughs> movies unless it's unless it's Ripley doing it. Um, it's the only scene you, know, you, you don't you don't see Yafat Koto and Alien at the driver's seat going. I think I flooded it. <laughs> um, but uh, Ripley's museum. Ripley. Uh, okay. No. I was afraid to put that one there. That one's a bit of a. All right. All right. The tub scene. Well, this makes me think of Breaking Bad, but we don't do TV shows, <laughs> typically. That's true. The trunk scene, the tub scene, the tub, tub scene. Um, if you can think, is it, I'm just going to give you another hint. Wait, what's, what's the stupid movie the, where someone like survives by hiding in a cast iron tub? That's not Indiana Jones. Oh, that's Leith. Oh, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, that's a... F- Fridge. But That's there was a some stupid movie where, like, the house is gonna collapse and they survive by lying down in a. It's been a few tub. I was thinking of Lethal Weapon Two, where the bomb goes off, where they freeze the bomb and then get in the cast iron tub and it doesn't kill them. Oh, <laughs> isn't that where Danny is? Danny Glover taking a bath? Isn't He's it? taking a crap. Remember, and there's a there's a bomb on the toilet and Mel Gibson has to oh, that's right. pull him off the because t- he's been sitting there all night and his legs are he can't stand up because yeah. he's got no he's got no feeling in his legs anymore so he's so he's it, did you want just a slight diversion <laughs> there's a terrible movie that's got a couple of moments I love in it um, is National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1 did you ever see that no, no. it's not good but I think about it all the time <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's Emilio, Emilio Estevez and a then kind of obscurely unknown Samuel Jackson in the in the Danny Glover role, and they recreate that moment where he comes in, uh, uh, where Emilio Estevez walks in the house and it's quiet, and he gets all worried and he pulls out his gun and he starts going up the stairs and he's like oh, I forget what his name is, Murt I'll just say Murtaugh 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 where are you Murtaugh. And then he gets to the bathroom and he busts in the bathroom and Samuel Jackson's on the toilet and he's like, you okay? And he goes, yeah, taking a shit. (laughs) (laughs) It was really funny. (laughs) And then they go to the next scene. (laughs) You could have brought that up in the big fan episode with all the... Yeah, yeah, I guess I could have. Breaking into bathroom. Uh, Okay, tub scene. Okay, so... Yeah, uh, I think you flooded it. Rip, rip, jailbreak, bitch out. The trunk scene to me—that's—that's the one that gives it all away. But that's just me. The The drive to Ripley's, the tub scene. No more timeouts. I don't. I don't. And then maybe maybe you haven't seen it. I don't know. And then Foley Part Two. Foley. Don't is don't it? be confused by the part two part. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, Foley like Foley sound recording, or it's spelled the same. So is this Beverly Hills? Cup? No, sorry. Um, well, Dave Foley, Brain Candy. I <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Okay, well let me let's start putting. I'll start laying in clues. Okay. 
Ripley refers to Albert Brooks. Uh, Bitch out is said by Don Cheadle. Oh, so the, uh, um, out of sight? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh. Okay, yeah. well, hold on. Sorry. So trunk scene... Trunk scene is, is, they... is when, when, when Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney are in the trunk. Of a and car. they meet for the first time of the car. Right? You know, I wasn't even thinking the trunk of a car. I was thinking like a luggage trunk the whole time, the entire time. Oh, no. I didn't once think of a... But you said, you said trunk of a car. You could escape in a trunk of a car. So I thought, oh, he's, he's okay, he's no, there. No, I, I said... Maybe I, he just hasn't seen I it. I was thinking of escaping in a luggage trunk. <laughs> I was. I, I, I've never so, thought of a trunk of a car. I um, thought that one was going to be funner than the one I didn't choose. Maybe oh, you should well, do the other one. I've only I haven't seen that since uh, I saw it in, like in the uh, when it first came out. I don't remember. It's so good. It's so good. I don't remember. Out of sight contains what I think my f- favorite sex scene. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's the best shot sex scene of all time. Whoa! Well, now I have because to watch it's ba- it it, it yeah. basically well because I'm a prude and it doesn't actually. Sh- it, 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 stops it shows before it like starts. from the earlobe to the <laughs> top of the shoulder. It's just fireplace pans. That's all it is. <laughs> no, no. They, what they do is is they cross cut their conversation in the bar um, with them undressing in their hotel room, and then the the moment they leave the bar to go to the hotel room is the moment when they just start to kiss and then then it cuts oh. it's masterful it's really beautiful and very highly erotic in my opinion i remember it being a very erotic movie um, yeah while also having some good zingers like um uh yeah we're reading it's fundamental and shit <laughs> that's a good well well like um i mean you got what steve zahn albert brooks ving rames george clooney jennifer lopez who i don't normally like praise a lot. She's fantastic. Isaiah Washington, who's got a weirdly uncomfortable role, but still, I mean, they're all they're all phenomenal. And that's one of oh, your uh, what's his name? Uh, favorite Louis... movie soundtracks. Uh, it the is soundtrack with the songs. That's, um... Yeah, it's Out of Sight. Uh, David Holmes, who did all the Oceans movies, but um, Out of Sight has a killer soundtrack, which again, is too overlaid with quotes from the movie. It's still a fun experience right. to listen to, but I can't stand it. I just want the music. That was a 90s. That's why I bought the soundtrack. That was a 90s it's a 90s thing. thing. Yeah. Pulp Fiction kind of ruined that for soundtracks, yeah. really. Ugh. I like my dialogue. You can put dialogue clips in them, but just let them, let them be their own tracks. That's what I say. Just right. let them be their own tracks. Right. Speaking of letting them be their own tracks... Clumsy segue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was fun. And that was track marks. Stinger that I haven't come up with yet. All right. That's the needle breaking off. The suspender (laughs) snapping when you're... Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Surely there's someone named Mark in the Poseidon Adventure, right? Um, all right, so 1972's The Poseidon Adventure. Um, this was uh, suggested by Siggy. And one of my first questions is, what, what made you think about The Poseidon Adventure Why? So, uh, yeah. this, this time? I had, um, uh, oh, well, it's a good question. So um, Airplane is streaming on Netflix. Mm. And Seymour and I 
had a talk and we decided it was the time in our boys' lives that they saw airplane. Naked boobs it in was... a PG movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, their first time seeing boobs in a movie was uh, Titanic, actually. Um, uh. Uh, well, that was tasteful, not you know, random. It was like museum-quality <laughs> boobs right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Whereas, hey, did you hear that, Kate Winslet? You've got museum-quality boobs. <laughs> Whereas uh, Airplane is more of the uh, jiggling variety. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, we said, you know, it's do you, they're ready. Do you have those as a parent... Did you are you having this same problem, the same experience I'm having in college when you hear about like the Christian services that are editing movies oh, uh, yeah. for rental going like, oh, dude, you're messing with the with the artist's vision. Don't do that. There could be reasons for that. And a reason. And then now I'm going, God, I wish I just had bleeped versions of my favorite stuff. I know. Or we're just like Because like you realize how that doesn't seconds how, cut out that I wouldn't have to yeah. be on guard. Or, or for like it. you realize it just doesn't add what anything really or it doesn't you don't lose anything when you lose yeah the the, the, the naked woman i just want the broadcast <laughs> edit that's you know yeah give like, me the, how easy is that to put on the dvd as well yeah just give me the broadcast edit so i can just you know yeah exactly you don't even have to color time it it's fine they don't care <laughs> yeah it can even be some pan and scan in it i'll even you know i'll live with that right if i can I think we talked about this before. Like, my introduction mm-hmm. to Taxi Driver and Godfather and and Thunderbolt and Lightfoot and like all these movies was like on WGN TV Channel yeah. Nine, uh, primetime as a kid. You know, and that, that was like my introduction to this world. And I never would have had it if yeah. if it weren't for the broadcast edit. And you know, then I went if I loved it enough, I went back and saw the the full version later. But and and I'm sure I'm we've so talked about this before. How like. Yeah, and and I'm glad it happened for things like Blazing Saddles because yeah, Blazing right. Saddles had like five scenes, whole big conceit jokes that weren't in the re- theatrical version that you only get on like the super duper Blu-ray that the sixty-five dollar one that just came out like a few years ago, um, and I and there are jokes. Excuse me, there are, have we talked about this? How there are jokes that are better. When they're edited in the TV version? No. So there's this moment in the beginning of... Ro- I, I was shocked and mortified when I got the, the Blu-ray and watched it for the first time, or the DVD, and watched it for the first time uh, unedited and was like, this is not as funny as the edited version. <laughs> <laughs> in the town of... In the, when they sing the, the... When they're singing the Ballad of Rock Ridge at the beginning of the movie, and they're in the church. Okay. And it goes, they don't care for our safety not a bit. There's no avoiding this conclusion. Our town is turning into shit. And I'm like, I heard that and I was like, that's not funny. <laughs> what was funny was how they edited it. Because Nowadays, they don't put any care or, or stuff in it. They just go, you know, or whatever, or a beep. But whoever did the Blazing Saddles edit was creative. You know what they did? They put an organ slip. The organist, there was an organ thing. So it sounded like this. Like, like, it was like the organist had slipped her hands by accident. So it was, no avoiding this conclusion. Our town is turning into... It was hilarious. And I miss that so much. 
That's a metal so, brick stain. Somehow we're talking about brazing yeah. saddles. Okay, we're going <laughs> Poseidon Adventure. Poseidon Adventure. So we we're going to watch Airplane, but being the kind mm-hmm. of conscientious father I am, I'm like, well, they're not going to watch Airplane until they've seen a, some other 70s disaster movie because I insist that That's they a good point. have to see the basis for the parody before they get the parody, if I have anything to do with it. If I have anything to say about it. So uh, so Seymour had never seen the Poseidon Adventure, and it was her turn to uh, pick the movie before mine. We rotate. And uh, so she picked up Poseidon Adventure, and we watched that. Now, hmm. I have – this is like my Ben-Hur update. This is like another one okay. of those Ben-Hur movies uh, episodes for me because I, I grew up loving the Poseidon Adventure. Saw it on TV – multiple times was fascinated with the whole idea of the ship being upside down and would recreate that in my home just playing by myself. I <laughs> one of the, we had a little hand mirror. Do you ever do this? I would walk around my house holding the hand mirror and pretending I was walking on the ceiling or that the house was upside oh. down, you know, and so the ceiling had become the yeah. floor. I, I was going to say no, but yeah, I think I did do that. And like I, I would go I in did. doorways, I would like act like I had to step over the, the, because the, 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 yeah. the, the top of the doorway is on the bottom and it's raised and like just pretending I had to navigate all these obstacles. Now I certainly filled my, I'd never, I, I'd never seen the Poseidon Adventure until today, until now. Oh. This is my first viewing. You're welcome. And, um, you're, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but I, I definitely had uh, plugged the tub and turned the shower on and pretend I was in a submarine that had been hit. I did that all the time. <laughs> I never did that one. Oh, completely all oh, the time. Oh, that's a good one. Das Boot. I, uh, <laughs> that was my first choice for, uh, for track marks. <laughs> das Boot. But it is all German. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's just all German uh, mm. words that I didn't know what they were. <laughs> you know, U ninety six was the only one that sounded vaguely like anything submarine <laughs> that I could tell. So you, so you'd seen this movie a lot. Like, how many times do you think you'd I seen? I don't it? know. Like, I would. I mean, I would guess two or three. Enough that, like, when it got to the big Shelley Winters moment, I was like waiting for it, you know, and anticipating it. I'm curious because if I would. Um, as an adult looking at this, watching the movie from minute one all the way to the end, I'm going, this doesn't feel like an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Did you feel that way as a kid? Uh, huh. No, I mean, I didn't have like, I was think I was too young to have that kind of critical lens on it. Um, we'll talk about it. I mean, it's just it. an out and out. Like, there's, it's an out and out tragedy. There's nothing. Yeah. That feels like an adventure in this movie at all. Like when it when it was time to watch this again, when when Seymour picked it out, literally the only cast member I could remember was Shelley Winters, and so I was surprised. Like, oh, Gene Hackman's mm. in this movie. I didn't remember his character at all. <laughs> like, you know, I was paying mm. attention to the ship is upside down. Here are the obstacles they have to traverse, and oh, someone holds their breath for three minutes like that those are the things those are my takeaways as a kid Mm. (laughs) i wasn't really engaging uh, with the with anything beyond that 
Which is funny because there is a lot to engage with. Can I, can I tell you my, my biggest shock about this movie when I saw if it? If you think this is the time. Sure. My biggest surprise about this movie is that it's about something. Besides a ship flipping over. Besides a ship, yeah. it's it's the story. It's it's actually got it's something to say. Yeah. It's not just spectacle, which is what I expected from um, Allen. from Erwin <laughs> yeah. Allen. Right. I just thought, okay, this is a disaster movie. He's just watching people drown and, and 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 all that stuff. But no, this movie literally is about something and something important. Now, when you say when you use the word about that way, you're giving me flashbacks to screenwriting class under uh, what was her name what was the professor she she had headed the uh screenwriting program mimi mimi white no um i can't remember michelle citron it was michelle citron she asked me in class like what's your favorite movie at the time it was miracle mile so i said miracle mile she says what's miracle mile about and like well a guy gets a Guy's falling in love. He gets a phone call in the middle of the night. Nuclear weapon. Like, no, no, no. It's about responsibility. And I felt sucker punched. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. wait, I, I felt like I'd been made a fool of. And it wasn't until later, mm. I was like, why am I? And she like just moved on to the next thing. But I was later, it's like, that fucker. Like she, if you want to know the theme, ask me what the theme is. <laughs> like. Don't ask me. Yeah, don't ask that, me what the movie's about, was, and then treat me like I'm a fool because I didn't say what the theme was. You know? Yeah, th- that is a that is a that you know. I was when, trapped. It, be- beginning of the story, I was on her side. Now I'm on your side. <laughs> because literally, when you say what's it about? Yeah. You're the the general the 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 commonplace term is what's the plot. I do think what this movie is about is different from the theme. From a theme, maybe it's pretty close, but like, but like, what's you know the the purpose of making the movie? One hopes is about what the movie's conveying, conveying, not necessarily what happens. Sure, no, yeah, so, I'm all about I, theme. Yeah, so, you know, I would have loved to talk about that. I just didn't know that's what we were talking about. Exactly. When you say what's it about, you're like, oh, it's about yeah. this. Especially but if yeah, like, she, it's not a movie everybody knows, and I just brought it up, you know, out of the blue. So. Whatever. She was a great yep. teacher. I learned a lot from her. I think she, from day one, it sounds. But, you know, but that moment, I was like, uh, you shouldn't do that to people. Yeah. That was kind of a sucker punch, yeah. Anyway. Well, we'll get into what this but movie it was is a... about, because we're going to talk all about it. All right. But if you don't mind, mm-hmm. maybe start at the beginning. Sure. What I find... Interesting now, unlike my childlike self, my, in fact, child self, uh, where I was just would have been saying, get to the part where it flips over, get to the part. I would have been just like having my toys mm-hmm. on the floor and barely paying attention until that wave hits and that boat flips over. Watching it now, right. the part of the movie I find most fascinating is this intro section where we're just mm-hmm. getting to know all the characters. Yeah. And so I'd like to talk about this. So let's, let's, sure. let's go through, let's go through the characters. So, um... Start with the bridge, where we have mm-hmm. uh, Leslie Nielsen, which I didn't uh-huh. didn't know he was going to be in this movie. Like, all right, kids get some some straight Leslie Nielsen before they get the airplane. Leslie Nielsen, awesome. That's that's right. You know? uh, doing 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 what Leslie Nielsen did <laughs> before airplane. Exactly, exactly. 
and and you know, Leslie Nielsen said on um, either the Tonight Show or the Pat Sajak show, I can't remember which. They asked him, I think it was Pat Sajak. He asked him, "How does it feel to be playing against type?" Because he was sitting at there with a little fart whistle in his hand, right. like doing it during the thing, and just taking so much glee in it. And someone said, "What's it like to be playing against type after all these years?" And he said, "You know what?" I think I've been playing against type my whole career until now, because this is who I am. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's it's nice. No, um, can we back up a little yeah, bit? though? Yeah. credits, right? So the, we get to the model shots of the SS Poseidon. Not bad, honestly. Better than Ben Hur. Yeah. Um, <laughs> still, you can tell it's like we're looking at a model in a very small amount of water, but honestly, done pretty, pretty well good. for for yeah. that. Um, still model, not bad. And then the the uh, um, the Chiron that comes up at the beginning, uh, which spoilers <laughs> says at midnight on New Year's Eve, the SS Poseidon en route to New York to Athens meets with disaster. Again, spoilers, and all was lost. There were uh, only a handful of survivors. This is their story. Yeah. It's like, oh, so you're already telling me most we're going to see a lot of people die. Yeah, why did which we expected? Why do you think they do that? Why do you think they put those titles up? We already know from the poster. Maybe, like this is the reason we already, we're yeah. here because the boat's gonna flip over. Wouldn't that be funny if there was a disaster movie and the boat flips over and everyone was survive? <laughs> like, would would you feel cheated <laughs> <laughs> that you didn't get to see people perish <laughs> horrifyingly? <laughs> but um, yeah, and then Leslie Nielsen when you first see him in the bridge. I got to say, he's got great walking on a boat acting. His way uh, he like... Yeah, because they're just like tilting hit. the camera. They're not even tilting the set. Yeah, because they're actually shooting on... I don't know if that, that bridge is a set or if they would use it, but they're shooting on the SS Queen Mary. Yeah, like parked in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. So it's... Which, by the way, was the... If you're according to IMDb... Um, the guy who wrote the novel this is based on was inspired because in 1930 he was on the Queen Mary and it got hit by a big wave oh. and it didn't topple over but it scared the crap out of him <laughs> so that's what was the inspiration for this movie interesting well they honored his pants shitting moment <laughs> by going under the very ship where it happened mm-hmm. it's true fine a lady <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. It's the Poseidon's too fine a lady to run her at full speed. Right. And that opening scene with him and the kid, Robin, um, was simultaneously both super cheesy, but I also really loved it. I don't know why. <laughs> there was something about, Mr. Shelby, you've taken a very exceptional time to come take me up on my offer. <laughs> You know, like for some, there was something about it that I really loved. Yet I was also kind of rolling my eyes at the same time, but going, "No, this is good." <laughs> and, but and, but I was also overtaken by the fact that that I can see where Airplane did it because that kid, who is not the same Joey from Airplane, because obviously he would be a lot older. Yeah. But I see the casting connection. It looks just yeah. like him. yeah. Which, by the way, that kid who's Rossi Harris, who's in the airplane, he went on to, incidentally, direct a few Beck videos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Just thought I'd throw that in. Now go ahead. 
um, my kids are like, uh, uh, I can't believe that. Like, how realistic is it that this little kid would know every detail about this ship? And I was like, that is the most realistic detail in this movie. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I was going to say much more so than a preacher having a crisis of conscience. No, I'm just <laughs> no, sorry. I'm going to cut getting down, handsy with uh, the kids on board. <laughs> it's right. Or when any woman is sad, you grab them by the head and shake their head. <laughs> That actually, sadly, is probably pretty real for that time period. We also meet the evil owner's representative from right. uh, vaguely um, Mediterranean ethnic quality to him. Maltese, I'm going to guess. I don't know. Yeah, the only like straight and the only one with a little bit of a little pinch of non-white in him. Yeah, he was like, uh, <laughs> you know, like a degree from Ricardo Montalban. I didn't think about I didn't actually think about that aspect. But yeah, you're right. And he, you know, we have this conflict here. Uh, the, he's making them run uh, too fast without taking ballast on. He won't let them stop to, to pump it up. And this is going to be important later because that's. Mm-hmm. Why they're both going to flip over, right? So we're setting up the the inevitability of of the disaster here. Uh, even though these characters are not going to stick around, they're going to be the first casualties of this whole thing. Spoiler alert! In a way that you kind of wonder. Wait, we didn't. Did we see that? You kind of wonder later, <laughs> and then you just have to go. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that makes sense. They'd just be they'd be gone, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> they got too wet. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm getting wet. <laughs> okay, next the Drogos. It's a Jack Benny reference. If anybody cares to look it up, <laughs> uh, from the horn blows at midnight. See, I can get that into. Damn nation. it! They should look it up. Oh, That's sorry. My... <laughs> I just want to know. I'm like once in a while, I can get these right. things. Yeah. yeah. They, Take them. They got to listen to me flounder yeah. over and over again. Once in a while, they got to hear me nail it. Okay. <laughs> That's right. All right. Doctors calling on the Drogos. Okay. Mm. Uh, here we get uh, a really important piece of information, and that is that three quarters of the passengers on board are sick. And this will be significant later because it's not, <laughs> it doesn't, we never see anyone else sick on the ship, and everyone's perfectly fine the next time we have a big. I just assumed party. it, I, it's funny, I didn't even think about that. I just assumed it was because of the waves were so choppy, everyone was getting like seasick. I guess that's what I thought but it just seems like a weird thing to mention when like in the very next scene the seas are calm and skies are sunny and yeah well I mean if not for that then Ernest Borgnine had nothing to complain about which wouldn't stop him <laughs> <laughs> you know should we see uh, uh okay so we meet the Drogos uh Linda uh and mm-hmm. Detective oh, Lieutenant Mike Rogo Played by Ernest Borgnine. Playing to the parking lot. Yes. Hammiest, <laughs> hammiest Hamkins on, on the ship, in the cast. And I had to keep reminding myself while I'm watching this movie, watching Ernest Borgnine, who I like in this movie, by the way. Yeah, I, I eventually did. He's yeah. the comic relief. He's the dramatic foil for a lot of it. Uh, a lot of the conflict goes through uh, uh, Mike Rogo, but boy, is is Ernest Borgnine hamming it up on the screen, and I have to keep reminding myself, this man possessed an Oscar by this point. Like, this is... 
So and Hackman did too. And Hackman did. actually had at and least red three. Buttons. Uh, no red buttons. And yeah. red buttons had like four Oscar winners yeah. in this. Oh, who's the fourth? This is Shelley Winters because she had won for something else before this, right? She won for this, did she? I, you know, I thought that too, but she didn't. Oh well, she was nominated. I thought she'd won for this. She was nominated for this. She won for the Diary of Anne Anne Frank. The Diary. The Diary. The Diary of Anne Frank. You know, they had a nice uh, dairy farm. (laughs) Well, they made cheeses. That's where. That's where they sent them to the dairy farm. They're happy there, Wade. It's okay. I love being out in the pasture, smelling that fresh dairy air. Yes, good one. A patch of blue. Shout out Matt Bishop. She, she, she uh, also won for a patch of blue. Patch of blue, right? Uh, She's multiple. And then Oscar nominated for Place of the Sun, Poseidon Adventure, and that's it. Not for Night of the Hunter, and not for um, the Manchurian Candidate because that was Angela Lansbury. Very right, yeah. <laughs> Technicality. Candidate she wrote, Stella Stevens. I have to say, it was kind of a crush of mine from Nutty Professor. A I, bit. You know, not, not, not like... I've never seen the Nutty Professor, huge, but, yeah. but I wondered if you uh, would have recognized her from a movie I know that you... Uh, sorry, I've yeah. never seen the white Nutty Professor. <laughs> <laughs> In which they, they are contractually obligated to rename it such now. Or should it be the Nutty White Professor? I don't know. <laughs> The, the nutty professor, comma, the nutty white. non-clump, <laughs> the not clumps. Um, <laughs> no, she was in the nutty professor. She also has a really insane cameo in the Manitou, which everyone should see if they get the what's, chance. We might. I actually might suggest we do that movie. It's what's the Manitou? <laughs> we'll just we'll get to it. Okay. When we get to is it, it the sequel to the Manatee? No. <laughs> no, but it did come before the Mana 3. <laughs> I should hope so. I should hope so. Okay. All right. So Stella Stevens has a great, like, like this whole, you know, uh, Borgnine's playing to the rafters. <laughs> this marital discord, which um, becomes weirdly both dysfunctional and sweet at the same time. <laughs> and such a, such a crazy backstory to put on this movie that you sit there and you wonder, is this going to come into play at all? Right, right. We find out she was a prostitute. He was a detective mm-hmm. who arrested her six times to keep her up the street because he's like this babe, this like complete innocent police detective. Mm-hmm. Police... A detective lieutenant, so he's gotten a promotion as a detective, and yet is like a babe in the woods in the world who uh, <laughs> is like an innocent about everything. Um, and and Linda's afraid that a junior officer on board is one of her former customers. And this is going to become important later when... <laughs> Never does, does it? We never even like see an eyebrow raised from the officer in question. Like you know, it's like a game we could play: is who is which? Which of the other characters uh, is she talking about? Was it the purser? Was it uh, the captain? Yeah. Was it the? 
I my guess it's that guy that says no marriage for me. I've got a mistress. I know. The C. Yes. Oh, he went from being sad to even sadder. That's an amazing line reading on that. That guy is so like, I have this one line. I'm going to fucking nail it. Nailed it, buddy. I never forget you. But I wish I could quit yeah. you. And then he gets crushed by a piano. But spoiler alert. <laughs> And gets like gets the kind of chest wound that gets your chest splattered with blood, but doesn't keep bleeding. It's like <laughs> it's not, not sure that happens, it's not the, but it happened. Right. It's when a piano falls on you. And I ha I have to admit, Stella Stevens, in a way, I mean, she was. Uh, I I don't know what point in her career this was, but I have to admit her. I like that she was willing to make herself look fairly unpleasant while trying not to look unpleasant. You know what I mean? Like, no. like, uh, uh, well, I mean, I mean, like, like, like she, the, the the clothes that she's dressed in, the the um, uh, unpleasant, uh, like trashy or yeah, okay. well, like, like, and just kind of past her prime, and 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 to be to be a a, a sex symbol. At one point, and then be in a movie where you're talking about suppositories in butt. the six, in the seventies. <laughs> that's I was. <laughs> I know where they. Go. Yeah, that's a good comic line. It's a good. You know. It was a good bit. It was a good bit. That was like uh, Three's Company audition. There, I was like. <laughs> it's like you got the man who doesn't understand basic stuff. <laughs> And then the woman who has to say it's inappropriate for you to talk about me putting these things where I'm yeah. putting them. So, come on, Mike. Women have butts too. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know they had holes Sir. in them. <laughs> Mr. Rogo, if you refuse to acknowledge that your wife has a butt <laughs> that has a hole for <laughs> medicine, then you need to like. Leave the room immediately. <laughs> what? <laughs> Did anyone not hear me at the stern? Sorry. I was like when um, my nephew, Zach, uh, got a whoopee cushion at a baseball game. <laughs> it was like the prize or, you know, the um, right. promotion. And then when my sister goes to the concession, he's like, he says, I'm going to blow up the whippy cushion. I'm going to put it under mommy's seat. And when she sits on it, she's going to look around and she's going to try to figure out who else it was because she's never farted. <laughs> but Seymour's never farted, right? That's just not how it works. You're not going to drop that right now, are you? I'm telling you. I, I, I'm just saying it's like, it's a thing. Yeah. Women don't fart. It's real. We they all don't. Know. It's It's... It's science. Will, it's, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's what all science has to say on the subject. Right. It's all science should science say on the Science sometimes gives knowing looks. <laughs> <laughs> I like how, I like also, it's 1972. I also like when they're having the argument about whether to, to go to the captain's table, that they're having a fight mm. through the bathroom door 
and she's like, I'm busy in here. Like she's taking a, she's pissing. I, uh, I, I just find it, um, like an honest moment for this movie to like acknowledge the fact that inside the bathroom, while they're having a fight, she's pissing during the fight. Right. I don't know. I just think but yeah, no, that's, that's, that's. Usually it's like they say, oh, they go in the bathroom, they start pottering their nose, and they come out. But no, she's literally yeah. taking it. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. And they're still fighting. I like yeah. shit like that in movies. Um, just feel, just piss feels like real. That. You mean piss like that, right? <laughs> yeah. You like piss like that. I like, well, I mean, she, I'm going to say it four times. I'm not done being an asshole yet. I'm going to say it again. It's like piss like that. Been, <laughs> she could have been squeezing out a quick one. Let me just call somebody. Hey, you're never going to believe what I just said. I said, he said shit like that when we were talking about somebody peeing, so I said, I said, it's pissed like that. Yeah, yeah. Tell Billy. Okay. Paul F. Tompkins. Go ahead. Did you watch Paul F. Tompkins and Sh- Mark Evan Jackson? Shout out to Paul F. Tompkins. Last night, did you watch that? The uh, two, Which two gentlemen one? improv. Oh, the Mark, the Mark um, Evan Jackson yeah. and him? No, but I have watched both um, Lapkins and Lapkins, Lapkins and Tompkins. Uh, oh, okay. And also the, the other night uh, back, uh, Dana Gould hosted the, the live reading of Plan Nine from Outer Space. Oh, fun. That uh, had all the my favorite people: Maria Bamford, Paul F. Tompkins, Dana Gould, um, Bobcat Goldthwaite, uh, David Keckner, Lorraine Newman, uh, Lorraine Baron Vaughn, Newman, Newman, um, and Jonah Ray, uh, Janet Varney. Uh, it, uh, uh, Gary Anthony Williams. It just went on and on and on. How many awesome people were in that? It was so much fun. I always wanted to go to the. the he does this live reading around L.A. and around sometimes around the country. Sometimes and it's it's so worth it. I always wanted to go. And um, after seeing it on Zoom, I was like, Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. It was a good <laughs> night. Okay. Now. Sorry. Now. Uh, now we meet. Uh, <laughs> Grandpa Joe Bucket, <laughs> who finally got off his ass. <laughs> For me, now we meet the enigma that is red buttons in this movie. <laughs> Doing right, this right. new fad yeah. called jogging. A jogger? He's crazy. He's one of these California that, that guys who puts on sweat clothes and does a silly little run around the deck before he takes his health pills. And flashes his peace signs. And he's so sad because he hasn't the conformity of a woman what? in his he life. He just needs a pretty wife. <laughs> just needs a And I insist wife. on this because I care. <laughs> you know? Uh, you remember? What are you going to do? Hug your pills at <laughs> night? Do you remember? Uh, well, no, it was haberdashery. He's going to... Oh, okay. No man, I've a mistress, the sea. You want to send that sea my way a little bit? No? Yeah. Okay, I understand. So, okay, should we count up the clues? That. All right, I was talk, I'm going to get on the jogging. Right. What do I talk about first? The jogging yeah. or like the clues that this character is gay, but we can't say he's gay in this movie? Where do, hmm. I, where do I go? Because I had to remind myself, like, oh, yeah, jogging was a fad in 1972. That was, like, considered this weird thing, oh, you know? You said fad, right? Fad. Fad. Remember Chopper in the in the gang? They're doing push-ups yeah. in Peoria. Oh. They're jogging in L.A. We need the Chopper gang. Because push-ups were a Peoria fad and jogging was an L.A. fad. <laughs> right. 
And then he takes health pills. He is a bachelor. He's polite. Long bachelor wears uh, frilly lace collars and a pinky ring, mm -hmm. uh, and is a haberdasher. Hmm, that's interesting. I just I thought of something else. We'll talk about that later. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, anyway, just like this thing just having weirdly, I not have a gay weirdly, character. I didn't... They can have a woman pissing. They can have a former prostitute pissing during an argument. And sticking suppositories up her butt for a, for a laugh, but they can't just say that red buttons is gay. But a man that yeah, I don't yeah, it's it's the seventies, but no, um yeah no they couldn't say that. Um I don't know I, I you know it's funny I I'm embarrassed to say I did not get that vibe. Oh really okay from the movie, which maybe just because I was like, it's red buttons, and I just kind of yeah. you know but yeah there were. I was worried. I maybe it's because I was concerned the whole movie that they were going to force a romantic subplot between him and Lonnie. Lonnie. Is it Lonnie? I. I, I, kept, I kept the way they were doing that. No, Nani. Not Nani. Nani. Sorry. Um, I was. I was really uh, scared name, they were going to force Nani Boo Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, she's Nani Nani yeah. Boo Boo. Yes, sir. All right. She's All right. Um, so, like, I was concerned they were going to do that. And so, like, I was like, please don't, please don't do that. This, it would feel very no, creepy. Well, she's still mourning but, the, the loss of her lover. Yeah. I mean, her brother. <laughs> yeah, that was a head shake. I was like, well, what, what? She's a brother? Okay. Yeah. Wait, why were you petting him during the rehearsal? <laughs> Like that. Well, you see, <laughs> incest was okay in the 70s. Being gay, so that was just a no-no. Well, when, when they're in the upside-down barbershop, and <laughs> and she's, she's... This is where I used to fuck my brother. <laughs> really sad. I loved him so much. And he's like, you know, I know how you feel. I, too, have known a forbidden love. Like, I kept waiting for that moment. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's never clear exactly, exactly what the dynamic is between, between uh, uh, Martin James Martin and Nani Boo Boo. Uh, wait, just a point of clarification. Point of clarification. It's never clear what the intended dynamic is. Yeah. Between them. Or or the actual one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they're 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 all they're all. Strangers on a boat, um, but and, and something that I, th we're, I think we should get into later is that that I felt was really struck by in this movie was the focus on civility and propriety during a crisis. Hmm. Like everyone was still Mister Martin, Mister Thing, Reverend So and So, yeah. uh, and then like like no one ever just went. Let's just stop this, you, you know, or yeah. or James, or everyone was still very Mister. You know, they they all took, except for the moments when they had to like rip someone's dress off or to like so they so they could swim, <laughs> you know, that. yeah, and, and like they're like, hey, what, you know. But still, there's a focus there on, in the middle of a crisis, do we deal with propriety? What propriety, what civility do we keep and what do we jettison? And I thought that the movie dealt with that a lot throughout the movie. I thought about that. I don't think it was... That was, that was it really struck me through top to bottom in this movie. 
like, to like top. one of my favorite bottom to top. Sorry, one of my favorite moments in the movie is, and I loved it, is when the captain, um, when he's called up from the dining hall to go to the bridge, and they see that this this wave is coming and it's going to be really. Insane. He comes in. He goes, "What's what's going on? This is really serious." By the way, happy oh, yeah. new year. I love that. I love that me moment. It, it wasn't silly to me at all. It was very real. Yeah. It was like, I'm going to acknowledge this because it is important, but we have something way more important to deal with. And so that kind of hung over the whole movie for me, this kind of like, Mr. Mr. Martin, Mr. Rogo, come on, tell Mr. Rogo this, you know, like, tell Mr. Rogo that. And it was, uh, propriety, I thought, was was being considered. I like and I thought that was interesting. I like that. Like when they're pulling Shelly Winters up the... Uh, fire hose and the little kids like, don't worry, I help haul in a six hundred pound swordfish. And then like, oh, that wasn't a fat joke, you know. And he's like, feels bad you know, about it later. I wrote that down. I was very glad for the six hundred pound swordfish apology. Yeah. Like, and it came like way later yeah, yeah. too. It was just kind of like, oh hey, you know, I just was really, I didn't mean to think that you were that. And I, I was like, that really touched me because I. F- felt bad during that moment when he was saying yeah, that right I, I, and then when right. I, I was yeah. yeah we were we were joking about it while watching it but then it brings it up later like oh the movie was like conscious of that you know yeah yeah like it was a choice to say i'm gonna say this and then you know what i'm sorry it wasn't like they could have just omitted it all together you know but they put it in to retract it not like you know what this line's in here it's not nice we should probably you know apologize for it it was written in to take yeah. it i assume because yeah. otherwise they could have just not had so it in there you're saying this about how what do you what do you keep and what do you discard in in this disaster so one of the the thing i find f- fascinating about the intro section of this movie the pre-disaster section is that you get all this backstory that you just don't use later it just doesn't come up no, at all. Not at all and i keep wondering so what do you think like I keep wondering, is the point of the movie that this, this stuff just ends up not mattering once the disaster strikes? Because the movie doesn't seem to make a point of it not mattering, the fact that she was a prostitute. Like, who cares if you were a prostitute now? We have this other right. thing to deal with. Like, would bringing it up... It doesn't bring it up to say we're discarding it. So is it I'm saying that, or is it just something that happens, or is it an accident? Like, what's, what's going on? I'm not entirely sure from my adult viewing not having like attachment from the past. I'm not sure if the omission or if that jettisoning of all that pipe they laid is a function of sex work, but okay. I mean, sex work (laughs) is work. I am an unkind man. It is there. It is work, and it no, no one knows. That. Unlike pipe laying, Wade. <laughs> Unlike pipe laying, sex is a lot of unpleasant work done by people who'd rather be anywhere else. Um, getting cut. Um. <laughs> Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, I I don't know if that was a function of just like this is how movies are and we're just it's sloppiness, or if it was a point they were making that didn't 
really land or was just too subtle to like if it was in their mind they say hey we're going to set lay all this because if i may jump ahead for a moment like yeah. stella stevens is mrs rogo's death is so sudden yeah and so flippant and it's also weirdly really ghastly but it's weird that it's not more ghastly like she just kind of slips from a rumble, falls off the catwalk, lands on a super hot steel girder that's on fire, and it's it's just a sickening thud. And then you just assume she's burned alive, but they show the shot of her the dummy just laying there, and you're like, okay, so did the fall killer, or is she being burned alive? So it's weird that it's not more ghastly, but it's also really just highly disturbing that it's like it, it's over in an instant, right? Senseless. senseless. And it's senseless. It's just like one of those things. So then you go all that pipe laid, all that backstory, all that fears and, and, and hopes and things are just gone in an instant. And that is something you can, that's a movie in itself, people processing that. And so I always think that like that sort of thing is done to amp up the drama. To you take someone, you feel sympathy for them, and then you snuff them out, and then that's drama. You're like you feel something for the loss of an entire life, but you also realize that none of it really plays into the story you're telling, except for maybe possibly Gene Hackman. Um, his arc, if he has an arc, which is I want to talk to you about later. Um, but Jackman and Rogo, Mr. Rogo rather, are are kind of the only ones that whose arc even kind of matters. The rest of them just have backstories that presumably make them richer characters for you to care whether they live or die. Oh, Mrs. Uh, Rosen has an arc. Oh yeah, Mrs. Rosen definitely has an arc. Although. And I'm just talking about her diving form. Right. Um, I I hate that I make this joke, but if I do a disaster movie parody, which I do have one in mind, um, I think I'm going to add to it that a character, every time there's a danger, like hands a different necklace to somebody to hold on to. How many necklaces can one person have? She just keeps giving necklaces. They're different necklaces every time. You're like, oh, the lady... It's it's like how many meaningful well, neck necklaces do you have? Oh, not a fat joke. Oh, not a fat joke. Not nice. Apologize, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, those are the only ones that really have. I mean, Grandpa Joe kind of has a I'm Grandpa, Grandpa Joe, Joe. Mister. <laughs> can't get away from yeah. that. What's her name? Mrs. Mr. Yeah. Rosen. Mr. Rosen. So it's Manny. Rogo and Rosen, Manny. right? Yeah. yeah Manny. Right. Manny kind of. It looks like he's supposed to have an arc, but it just never materializes. <laughs> but yeah, well, I want to talk about her death scene later oh, when we yeah. get to it. Oh, but... no. We're going to talk about that. What was that? Where were we? Um, we were uh, doing the funny jog, and then we <laughs> go all over the place. <laughs> the yeah, there was just so... I mean, but yeah, they do. they lay so much character work, and then it just... I presume, my presumption is, is that it's it's made to... Make them feel like rich people, so rich characters, so that when they are, when they die, or when they struggle, we Just care. Care about them, yeah. 
we just get to care about them. But it is strange that <clears throat> from my 2020 vantage point, I watched them going, is any of this, is any of this going to play into anything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm really of two minds about it because I'm generally love when just like stray details show up in, in these stories. I just think mm-hmm. it makes the world richer and it makes it feel more like a lived in reality. Certainly. And in this particular movie, like if anyone paused, like they're in a race for their life. They know they're in a race against the clock. Like they're, this water is chasing them like through the corridors. Like, you know, well, let's wait here 15 yeah. minutes. Well, okay. Except for that part. <laughs> But if they had, like, right. taken the time to, like, sit down and have a heart-to-heart about these things, I mean, they do, they kind of, like, have these moments where they do, but they're very brief, like, just like where they're waiting for people to file into a, a, a shaft or something. It, it, it would have felt too phony and, and too fake, you know? It would have been exactly kind of like, no. oh, we happen to, on this uh, journey, we happen to run into the young officer who recognized Linda, and now they're going to have that that moment yeah it wouldn't matter like yeah but the fact that it doesn't like consciously discard that stuff i don't know if there's a better way to do it i it it, yeah it's about like none of the stuff matters anymore then the movie needs to say in some way none of the stuff matters anymore just like but a lot of but the the thing is there's there are fragments of it that do i mean obviously rogo is an example of that there are fragments of the old world that the old context that keeps intruding on their plight. And and, 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 and Hackman, who's, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting his Scott. name. Reverend Scott. He's certainly has that as well in a way. Um, and um, so, so part of, part of it is feels sloppy to me. And the other part of it feels like it's, the movie is about this push and pull between we're in a con- we're in a context where we need to just survive nothing else matters but then the fact that we are creatures who compartmentalize our societal aspects it's that that it's hard for that not to intrude yeah and sometimes it actually is warranted because the the interesting thing about Hackman's character is that you're not really sure why he's so certain yeah. of his of his leadership uh, uh, of, of his leadership goal, or like in how the sense that it's, it's, <laughs> it doesn't seem to be faith, and it doesn't seem to be uh, is is it ego or is it faith? And in the but he doesn't place his faith in or his trust in the people who work on the boat. Yeah. But he places it on a child and a waiter, which is not necessarily wrong. And Rogo certainly challenges is that. But at the same time, you're like, you're displaying a competence. I can see how you might know this. Let's do it. But we'll get into that yeah. a little bit later. He's, you um, know, he's just anti-establishment, man. He's exactly. He got defrocked. He's, he's broken free of the, <laughs> of, the, of the boundaries. So, yeah. So Hackman's first fifth scene, Hackman, Hackman's first scene where he's uh, chatting with the chaplain who just goes by chaplain yeah. um, about this, where he's like, I'm happy about this. What did you think of that first scene? Uh, I like it. With adult eyes. With adult eyes, I guess. With who? 
With adult oh, eyes. Oh, with adult eyes. Well, I don't, like I said, I don't even remember Gene Hackman as a, in this movie as a kid. <laughs> um, right. Uh, well, I wasn't asking for you to tell me about how you didn't remember him. <laughs> so with adult eyes, which is how I try to watch movies these days, <laughs> um, particularly for this podcast. I try to watch movies with children's thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what that means. Sounds really creepy when I say it, though. Um, I arrange them on the couch. <laughs> yeah, just draw little faces on the on the pad. Right, exactly. Um, hang them around my neck. Have them facing the right way. Uh, so, right, his talk about um, if, you're, if you're praying to God in your frozen tenement, icicles hand, hanging from your palms, like break. Burn the furniture. Light the building on fire. Just do something. And it just seems like... Mm-hmm. I mean, it's setting up that he's willing to act on impulse. <laughs> if he's in right. order to, It's almost like action for action's sake is is a virtue. Is that... Um, yeah. Is that he's uh, anti-complacency. He's anti... He's anti, like, waiting for help. Like, he did, you know, don't count on anyone to give you a handout. Not God, not the government, not the, not the church, any of them. You know, you got you to gotta mm-hmm. take charge for yourself. Um, and I don't know, like, it sounds like a self-help manual. It sounds like some kind of... Uh, Which, I, I was trying to, like, place him within, like, a, a, a philosophical framework. Like, is he, like... Ayn Rand, mm-hmm. or is he like um, uh, the power of positive thinking, or uh, whatever that guy's name was? Like, where is he? Like, I couldn't place yeah. him like in a quite in a spectrum. Well, this this fascinated me because so the whole movie he seemed to be this person who was pushing things that I kind of believe in. Like, like he was like, "Don't wait for prayer. Thoughts and prayers aren't gonna do anything." Action, that's what God, you know, God helps those who help themselves. God likes triers. He was saying things like God likes winners, sounded vaguely Trumpian in that point. But then he's like, but God likes triers. And he's pushing people. He wants brave souls. He wants brave souls, which honestly, in a lot of the kind of therapy I'm doing right now, that is kind of what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So I was responding positively. It sounds but like at John the same Lewis. Time, I'm all, Good trouble. He sounds like John Lewis, exactly. But John Lewis, an arrogant John Lewis. Very arrogant. It's like if John Lewis was arrogant, that's this character kind of. And so, like, so you kind of are off put by how, which in a weird way is oddly fascinating to have someone who's promoting these very um, positive personal uh, uh, motivations, but just being a real dick about it. (laughs) (laughs) And so you're kind of like, so, so what's the movie trying to say is, are they trying to say that this is a bad, are they making him dickish to kind of say, this is not the way you should be. But then at the same time, you're all you, you could just be like, oh well, maybe it's just good writing and making some uh, a complex character. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I should probably give it the benefit of the doubt and see where this goes. Uh, but that that leads to later in the movie, what I think is the key passage of the movie 
is when the main dining room is upside down and 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 he's trying to lead people to leave the main dining room when when all the the officials who granted are just purser and doctors they're not they're not really the ship staff but they 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 are the ship staff saying we need to stay here and everything's fine is when he's leading them out up the uh, christmas tree which i thought was actually a pretty powerful piece of symbolism yeah. Was them using literally the the Christian holiday to ascend to salvation? I thought that was actually, I I was impressed. Yeah, to be cool. honest, it's also uh, the Christmas tree that makes Charlie Brown depressed. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, but then when he when he goes over to the chaplain and says, in 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 given its context, was actually probably sounded pretty arrogant. <laughs> But was he was trying to bait him into his point by saying, "You never told me what you thought of my sermon." Yeah. About the gods like triers and God likes winners and stuff. Yeah. And he says, "You, yeah, it's it's the it's the best exchange in the movie, in my opinion, where he says, "You spoke only for the strong," which is also something that I'm debating in my own head personally a lot. And he says, "I'm asking you to be strong. Come with us." And he says, I can't leave these people. I know I can't save them. I suspect we'll die, but I can't leave yeah, them. I transcribed that. And too. then Hack, you transcribed it too? And then Hackman looks at them and says, They don't want to go. And boy, did I think of Trump voters at that point. They're not. Because <laughs> they don't want to go. They've chosen to stay. Why, why should you? What good's your life then? And he says, I have no other choice. Yeah. And then he says, John, I'm, I'm not going to give up. And he leaves him. That's the way out. That's our only chance. And so that, that, that's, it, this is one of those classic things where like, I identify so strongly with both of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's what makes great writing. And then when he says, you know, that's the way out, that's our only chance, don't listen to him! And he goes up the, the Christmas tree, and then instantly the whole place floods. Right. In horrifying, horrifying right. loss God's of life where everyone drowns. Yeah. So in a way you're saying, that I'm like going, the movie's trying to say Hackman's right. Yeah. Right? But why you got to be a dick about yeah. it? <laughs> why does he have to close the door on them? I mean, yeah, exactly. they can still lift up that Christmas tree. Yeah, they you could be, be a, like, just they lift could it up, float up on the water, like let them. It's, it's yeah, exactly. Let the water level take them to that. It's funny how they close that door, but they don't close the door with the flood and the fire coming <laughs> later. You know, you could just close that door, and hey, you're not flooded. Well, for a while, anyway. From their side, I was with you. Like, close that door behind you. I'm like, oh wait, I don't. Yeah, I can't. Um, Maybe then again, I don't know. But since you brought up um, Scott's uh, sermon, I just gotta say, mm -hmm. least realistic moment in the movie is those musicians showing up for church. Nani and her brother. Oh. Getting dressed up in the well, morning. Certainly by today's standards, but maybe uh, not then. I don't know. That, there's no way that was happening. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that's funny. 
But I, I, I was I was weirdly having a bit of problem with Hackman's performance in the beginning. Okay, I want to talk about Hackman as an actor. Yeah, yeah. And what a weird movie star he is. Like how weird it is that he's a movie star. It is weird because he he, but I, he is one of my favorite actors. He's great. He's fantastic. But what's good about him? <laughs> Okay, first of all, um, I'll start with his voice. Like, it, it, you know, I don't think about it that much, but when you break it down, like, listen to it, like, he's got, like, one of the most unpleasant voices I've ever heard. Yeah, he's not, he's not. He's got this I awful mean, laugh. <laughs> he's got, but I love it. It's it's I awful, know. but I love it. He's he's harsh. He's, and, and, and I, well, I was going to list off all the qualities, what makes him not movie star like. Yeah. Kind of homely, like aggressive, but not necessarily masculine by by traditional movie star standards. Yeah, let's not just like say. macho. He's definitely masculine, not, but not like rugged macho. He's not rugged macho. Yeah, yeah. he's he's, he's scrappy. He's thing. But here's the thing: he taps burning, into a uh, ball squeezer. He taps into an anger that is relatable. Yeah, that yeah. is he. Is one of those angry actors that um, has made anger appealing, which is a bad, maybe a bad thing, but but anger basically is someone is that's what it is. He might fundamentally understand that anger at its base is really just motivation for change. Hmm. Anger is basically your mind saying something needs to change, and it, you need to do it. That's its function, and so like he has tapped into that. One, it's funny. After watching the Poseidon Adventure, I immediately went to one of my favorite Hackman scenes and watched it. It's in a the 1990 movie Narrow Margin. Do you remember this one? I never saw it. It was a remake of a 1920s Narrow Margin. Stock trading movie. No, it's a it's a train thriller. It's basically not like shorting futures. No, okay. it's and I, it, this was one that I almost put in the intonation game, and then I realized I was the only person who would remember this, yeah. and I realized it was pointless to do. But there's a um, there's a scene where um, who's the guy on Hill Street Blues who had the pipe? Oh, um, he was the SWAT team yeah. leader, and then he was uh, he plays in Ollie Hop Noodles Haven of Bliss. He's the He's the dad. He's he's in a lot of stuff. You see him every now and again. It's a scene between Hackman and him, okay. and this other dude. And basically, the plot of the movie is is that he, Hackman's a DA. He wants to to get this person to testify against the crime boss uh, that he's been trying to take down forever. And um, he finds out that this woman was on a date with J.T. Walsh, who was killed in the presence of this crime boss, and the the mob doesn't know that she was in the room. So he's trying to get her Witness. to testify. Right. He's trying to get her to testify. And by going to find her, the mob finds out about her. And then they get on a train. And then the mob is trying to sh- track them both down on a train. Okay. And there's this great scene where yeah, I have Gene, seen this. Where My dad Gene Hack- rent a lot of <laughs> Gene Hackman action movies in the. I 80s. mean, he. He actually has a lot of little great gems, like the, the like 
The package. I love the package. It's like that's like my dad. It's not like it wouldn't. He wouldn't list it in his top fifty movies. But if like I want to think about like my dad movie, just like a movie my dad would watch that nobody else would oh. watch, it'd be the package. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. That makes me feel really good because one, it fits what I know of your dad to a T, <laughs> and secondly, um, uh, I never heard anybody else who'd ever seen the package. Yeah. yeah. And so I just I I, I really like it. Um, but there's the scene is is in a is in the dining car and the. They, the, the two mob hitmen come up and sit down and just have a very pleasant, you know, respectful chat with Gene Hackman. And Gene Hackman's just kind of just, I don't know this woman you're talking about. What can I do? You know? and, and, and it's this great moment. I love it so much where they're trying to tell him, look, they're trying to bribe him. Say, all you got to do, your DA sal- deputy DA salary is nothing. You know, I can give you all this money. All you got to do is point her out. What is it? What? what there's only a couple of reasons why someone would remain a deputy DA. Either they're already born rich or from what I understand you, you know, or they're not good enough. And then Hackman in this, I think maybe my favorite Hackman moment. (laughs) It's just a very slight, he goes, Oh, 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 there's a third reason. Um, I don't like people like you and I definitely don't like your boss. And I, I'm going to really enjoy putting him in a ray. I, I really like my side of the courtyard. Uh, court, I like my side of the courtroom. I really do. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to enjoy watching your boss. You know, I like it when, when the judge hands the sentences and then like, like, like their shirt collar gets a little too tight. <laughs> I love it. And like, this, it's this quiet, like he's scared, but he's exhibiting a power and an anger and a righteousness and it's 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 quiet and it's um, almost polite, but he's 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 like politely shoving a little knife, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's masterful. I love it. I love it so much. And uh, and in in Poseidon, he's 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 all this, yeah. and uh, and uh, it's I'm like okay, so who's is the movie judging him? Is Hackman judging him? What's going on? But I got a little insight. I know I said I was going to ask more questions this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I have a little, I have a little insight. I was listening to, uh, is it? What's the name of the podcast? Is it Star Trek Initiatives? They just started an official Star Trek podcast, hosted by Tawny Newsom and Paul F. Tompkins. And they're the cool part about this podcast is they're asking people to talk about their love of Star Trek who would never otherwise get the opportunity to talk about their love of Star Trek, like okay. Stacey Abrams, Reza Eslan, um, Ben Stiller. They're talking about all these people who aren't connected with it, but love it. Ben Stiller had a, it was the first episode, and he had a uh, an anecdote. He apparently owns tons of like Star Trek stuff. He owns like the Gorg, the, the was it, oh, shoot, what's the, the lizard guy that Kirk fights up by? Vasquez I would, rocks. I would not be booked on this podcast. Say that. <laughs> anyway, he owns a lot of stuff. Anyway, they, they briefly make a Hackman reference aside. And he told a story about um, how when he was on the Royal Tannenbaums, mm-hmm. at the, he got to work with Gene Hackman, which was one of the highlights of his career. And then he said, he said two days before we finished shooting, I said to him, um, just, I know, you know, this is me weird, but um, I always want to know how much you mean to me as an actor and how much when I saw Poseidon Adventure as a kid that 
it meant so much to me. And it's kind of the reason why I became a filmmaker to make movies and to craft performances and craft spectacle. And, and, and I just want to let you know how much the experience of seeing you and your work really meant a lot to me. And then Gene Hackman went, huh, money job. And then got up and left. That's a pro. So uh, look, check out the Star Trek initial uh, podcast uh, to hear him tell that story. It's pretty great. Uh, yeah, money awesome. job. <laughs> so, okay. So Star Trek, the pod directive. I'm sorry. It's the called the pod, pod directive. directive. Well, in order to talk more about Reverend Scott, I want to talk yes. about how the Rosens are introduced. Okay. So we see them on deck. Uh, when Martin jogs by, and uh, we we learn um, that he runs by like clockwork, <laughs> like a train, like oh you and trains. We find out <laughs> Mrs. Rosen loves trains, and that she cried for a week when they shut down the Third Avenue L. <laughs> and this is going to be relevant because we came. Okay, we, we, yeah. We <laughs> It won't be. But he's lonely. That's why he runs, so he won't notice. Anyway. Oh, she's going to fuck that red button. <laughs> you know it. She wants to watch. I just oh. like to... <laughs> I just oh, like grandpa, to watch if I were... men fuck their pretty wives <laughs> for two minutes, 47 seconds. If I were Grandpa Joe Buckets, I'd be like, oh, that's my golden ticket right there. Uh, so we find out that they're going to Israel and they're reading the mm. uh, tourism pamphlet. And like, ah, oh, our tour package takes us to Mount Sinai. Oh, wait, no. It doesn't say Mount Sinai because you might not get that reference, possibly. It says, <laughs> the mountain where Moses delivered the Ten Commandments. That's a better name. <laughs> it's just, it rolls they off the tongue it. way better. Yeah. It, you know, it looks better on the marquee. Yeah. <laughs> the marquee they put on the mountain. The goy. Who cares? <laughs> and so this is one of those things where uh, how, did, how did young Southern Baptist church attending Siggy miss the whole Moses thing the first couple times around? In this ah, movie? yeah. Like. This is seem, seems like the kind of thing I would have been primed to pick up, and I totally did not see it at all. And now it's like the Moses stuff was really hitting me over the head uh, in mm. this movie. Not in a bad way. I, I dig it. I, I love this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It wasn't ham-fisted. It was very, yeah. Yeah, but it's... it's I wouldn't say subtle, but I, it yeah, wasn't ham-fisted Yeah, I wouldn't either. say... There's not much in this movie that's subtle. <laughs> give them that much credit <laughs> as much as much as i really i gotta say i'm making fun of this movie yeah so i watched this a few weeks ago and then to prepare i was just gonna watch a few key scenes the sermon just make sure i got like some of the mm -hmm. the the dialogue down for that really accented the themes and then i just thought i was gonna forward through it i watched the whole thing again because i just right I, it's I, it's I a good movie i can see it it is i genuinely enjoy this movie like every I enjoy every part of it. <laughs> I, 
even the parts I didn't think I was going to uh, in a second watch. Um, it's one of those things where when I I feel like I'm teasing it, but I'm teasing it out of I wouldn't say love, but maybe appreciation. Maybe. Sure. Because I will tease it every night, but then again, again, I'll be like, I I remember being totally bowled over when uh, Ernest Borgnine tries to go after Acres, and then he's climbing up that ladder, and you see how jacked Ernest Borgnine is. I mean, the yeah. muscles in his arms. Oh yeah, I, he's a beefy guy. I, I, he's one of those guys that I I mistook muscular for fat. <laughs> But when he's pulling those arms up, you're like, oh, my God, that guy's fucking John Henry. He's like yeah. like the sinew that was like all the definition and stuff. I was, <laughs> was really, it was like my breath took taken away. It's like I had no idea how jacked he was. Yeah. I thought he was just big. And he keeps getting upset that Reverend Scott's bossing him around and making him do things. But it's like, it's because he's the biggest, strongest guy. Yeah. You know? And uh, he's a detective. He's probably brave, you know. Um, probably. <laughs> probably, but he is. Mike Ruggo, well, yeah, no, no, Mike yeah, Ruggo steps up. Like I he think, does. I'm I'm on Mike Ruggo's side in this movie. I I'm a you know like he he doesn't uh, he doesn't like being bossed around. He doesn't mm-hmm. take it quite as far as uh, Vince Vega or something, but he. You know, he just wants a little respect or appreciation or just like be able to give a little input. I mean, he's. he's yeah, but because of that, he, he rails on. But because of that, he rails on everybody. Like immediately, just, bah! you know, like Rogo. he attacks the doctor when he shows up. He attacks the everyone when they show up. He attacks his wife when she, you know, I mean, verbally. He's got security so, problems. He's insecure. He's, he's very, very insecure. Yeah. But, you know, obviously people treat him like he's a dummy. He does seem like he's a dummy. Yeah. But, you know, he's... A sweet... He's sensitive about that. A sweet um, bully dummy, I guess. <laughs> but... <it's> the, <laughs> he's loud, you know. A little rough around the edges. Yeah. yeah. A little rough around the edges. Yeah, sure. Anyway. Okay. All right. Moses. Got there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and then Lonnie petting her brother while they're... <laughs> While, it, while rehearsing the morning after or uh, theme song from the Poseidon Adventure, which I think is the actual title of the song. Is it? It's not morning after? I think I saw in some, uh, when I was researching like uh, songs from movies, when I was doing the You Heard That Right bits, I think it's listed as morning. I think it's morning after theme from Poseidon Adventure, I think. Okay. I do remember seeing it listed as morning after in, in like the, the Oscar uh, books. In the credits, I think it was. <laughs> that one, that song, which when they're singing it in the rehearsal, and then like two scenes later, we're hearing them play it again. It feels like in the <laughs> at the party, and when we're watching it, we're all laughing. I'm like, oh, this lame song again. And then that movie won best the Oscar for best original song. And in the movie, I love how the, even the cast can't take the Oscar-winning song. <laughs> like, remember, Acres' boss is like, oh, this song. Yeah. Uh, I forgot to. <laughs> Wait, what was it up against? Was... Boy, my daddy's oh, lips wow. taste good, and uh, what else? <laughs> what, other, what other completely deplorable songs could it have had to win over? Okay, that... 
one over Ben from Ben. Oh. Michael Jackson song. Great song. A little giant rat movie that plays against it. That's a normal sized rat. He's just very Oh, normal sized rat. I'm very sorry. Intelligent. Intelligent, intelligent rat. rat. I'm good. thinking of Willard. Well, it's still a normal sized no, rat. No, that's a yeah, no, normal. I've seen Willard. I've never seen Ben, actually. Uh, Come follow, follow me from the little ark. I have no idea what that is. Marmalade, molasses, and honey from the life and times of Judge Roy Bean. Hmm. You need to see that. That's a George Roy that. Hill movie. I don't know that uh, song or movie. I am a fan of song titles that are just lists of types of food, though. <laughs> yes. You've written some gorgeous ones, too. Uh, well, thank you. Um, uh, apple, peaches, pumpkin pie. Strange mm-hmm. are the ways of love from the stepmother. Okay, well, Ben. Ben should have won that. Come on. That's a killer track. You and I made it. Had to be anyway. a morning after. Oh. All right. Okay. Sorry, I just wanted those two, those two songs combined well. All right, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read Reverend Scott's sermon here. Please, please, I think it's important. God is pretty busy. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> He's got a long-term plan for. Oh wait, I slipped in. Did you ever pick your feet in the Potomac River? <laughs> it's hard to do Hackman without slipping into Borgnine. <laughs> He's got a long-term plan for humanity that stretches far beyond our comprehension. It's not reasonable to expect him to concern himself with the individual. The individual is important only in the sense of providing a creative link between the past and the future, and his children and his grandchildren, or in the contribution he makes to humanity. Oh, okay. This is not all selfish. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I don't, so far, I don't disagree. <laughs> I know. It's a good sermon. Therefore, don't pray to God to solve your problems. Pray to that part of God within you. I agree with all this. Yeah. I don't yeah. Uh, believe in prayers of intercession. Have the guts to fight for yourself. God wants brave souls. He wants winners, not quitters. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you can't win, at least try to win. God loves triers. Isn't that right, Robin? A little shout out to the little kid. Uh, what are you doing? His little sidekick. <laughs> what? 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 The boy wonder. <laughs> So, what resolutions can we make for the new year? That's right. It's the holiday movie. That's right. Resolve to let God know that you have the guts and the will to do it alone. We could just play the quip of the clip. Not the quip. We could just play the clip of Gene Hackman doing this. He, I, I like he, you doing it. He's Honestly, pretty good. I, he's pretty good. I had good to rent the movie, so I can't grab it myself. It's just a money job. Resolve to fight for yourselves, for others. So much for the me decade, right? For those you love, for that part of God within you will be fighting with you all the way. That's a, that's a great line reading because, you know, I figured yeah. he's reading like that part of God within you will be fighting with you all the way. But like he puts mm-hmm. an exclamation mark after fighting with you and then just tags in all the way. All the way, yeah. right. Yeah. Although uh, I, did, I did feel for the people sitting in the bench, in the folding chairs going, Man, we're on a cruise. We gotta listen to this guy yelling at us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, I know it's it's like what's weird is that I had a, a discord in my head because I don't disagree with anything he said, but th- part of me always goes, okay, well, this is where the character's starting, 
where is he going to arc to? Mm. Is this character going to have a comeuppance later in the movie? Is he going to realize that he's wrong? And if he starts here, what's the movie going to say? That's what I was kind of the discord in my head. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know? Well, I... Um... I'm going to let you take over at this point. So tell me where what? you want to go. So we get to the, the New Year's Eve party, wave crashes, flips over, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> you know the reason to see the movie. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. Not no, too no, bad. No. I have to admit, there were a couple of shots in it that were really terrifying with the flipping over and stuff, even though you could see they weren't spending a ton of money on it, but it was still, some of it was effective, I thought. So when they set tips up, when, like, yeah, when, when everyone's falling to this, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. you know, you picture like uh, a set on a on a gimbal, like the whole thing, yeah, rotating set because the things. No, they were lifted up with the forklift. That's how what, they, they lifted the set up. They just lifted the set with the forklift. <laughs> That's wow. how they got that shot. Oh wow! Okay. I saw that on a, a Bluetooth extra. Wow. Bluetooth, Blu-ray. Well, here, here, here's the movie where we get when the when the ship turns over, and you know, weirdly, I have to say, I, I hadn't having not seen this movie, and then seeing the poster, which was obviously a newer poster, because they have the the painted one of Hackman leading the whole crowd and the, the logo of the thing, yeah, you know, and the the painted one, the famous one, but they had another one which was a still, and it was the ship upside down from like the cameras underwater looking up at it. And it was so disturbing to me. I texted you I, uh, the, yeah, the, the screenshot right. and I said, this disturbs me. Like I'm having an uns- really palpable, I kind of feel like I drowned in the past because in the past life because ocean voyages are very disturbing to me. Like I don't, I don't ever want to be on one. Uh, I mean, I, I took a trip to Catalina. It was fun. I didn't even think about it. But the fact that the, the ocean is so deep yeah. And, uh, and and uncontrollable that scares me so like to the that shot just I, I weirdly was not looking forward to watching the movie after that I was weirdly apprehensive to be honest but but I <laughs> I was kind of scared well right you get you asked me like is this the tone of the movie and I was like oh no right. no no it's like okay yeah. but like yeah so it was it was it was weird um anyway uh but at this point when it tips over by the way, the, can I tell yeah. you my punch up for this sure. for this scene? Uh, Mike Rogo should have said, "I've heard of getting tipsy on New Year's Eve, but this is ridiculous." <laughs> my punch up would have been, you know, we were really looking for a real adventure this New Year's Eve. <laughs> this turned out to be a Poseidon adventure. <laughs> that should be the last line of the movie. Oh, exactly. You know what the last line of the movie is? What? No. Are there any other survivors? No. That's the last line of the movie. (laughs) It is. You're right. It is. No. (laughs) (sighs) What would be funny if if they said, are there any other survivors? And they all conferred for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) Should we we tell them? Um, No. <laughs> let's actually let's take a quick break. I need to to to, to use the restroom. So. Okay. Okay, we'll come uh, we'll come back in a bit. Why don't you go um uh, 
a, a peace side in adventure? There you go. You <laughs> bailed me out. <laughs> nice work. We'll be back after a peace side in adventure. It captured the Oscar for best original song, but not before it captured your heart. The morning after, take it home on 45, 8-track, and now in pill form. Yesterday, your heart throbbed to the thrills of the Poseidon adventure. Don't let feelings of regret ruin your today. Why abstain from Rene Armand's smooth and soothing sounds like fingers through your lover's hair? Now they're yours to enjoy over and over again, without consequence. The morning after, ask for it at your music dealer or pharmacy. And we're back. You know, um, I, I really enjoy listening to my favorite podcast outside of this one is uh, with Gorley and Rust, which just came back. Um, they had started with In Voorhees We Trust with Gorley and Rust, then went to With Geyers and We Trust with Geyer, with Myers We Trust with Geyers and Rust, and then now they're doing With Kruger We Trust with Gruger and Rust. <laughs> they're doing the Freddy films right now. And it's just, it's like, it's, you know, it's what we do. We're just enjoying each other com- other's company for other people's benefit. <laughs> and it's really great. But they have a thing where they, every season, they come up with a new way to say we need to take a bathroom break like we need to take a jason moore peas or a, a walther ppk when they're doing a bond movie or okay um this one's the stream master for nightmare so um i think in in uh in uh in in the, when they were doing the halloween movies it was a psych i'll try yours <laughs> when they were like i gotta go home to go to the bathroom hey i gotta go all the way home I can't use your bathroom. Psych, I'll try yours. So I I just took a lot of glee in the Peace Side and Adventure, just purely for that reason. It was I was very it, it made my entire bathroom experience very <laughs> pleasurable. I was like, Paul and Matt would be so proud of me. God. <laughs> All right. <sighs> well, I hope you were having as much fun as bunch of uh near strangers uh getting some sly kissing and groping on the side while singing old lang syne <sighs> so we've we flipped the we flipped the script flipped the boat yeah yeah it happened uh let's see um everyone's miserable some of them are dead and, and we were talking earlier about the them climbing the tree and then the immediately starts flooding. Yeah. Oh, um, climbing the, the tree. Main... Wait, 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 can we talk for a second about sure. climbing the tree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I love the, um, uh, we got to make sure it's safe. Sacrifice the kid. <laughs> I love that. Send the kid up, make sure that works. Yeah. I love, um, uh, <laughs> I love the, oh, your gown's too long. You got to tear that off. You got to show your legs. You got to show your legs before you <laughs> climb up. Okay, you too. You got to take off that dress, put on a shirt. Climb up there. Show your legs. Uh, Shelly Winters, I'm too fat to climb up there. Uh, well, we're going to have to get you up there. Like, I guess I'll take my dress off. Like, No. No, uh, no your, your dress is fine. Keep keep it on. You're not a fat joke. <laughs> not a fat joke. Uh, well, to me, that sequence teaches you never trust Roddy McDowell's fastening skills. <laughs> yeah. Because really... that they get all up there, but then suddenly just kind of unravels and they just go, oh. 
I guess that's it. Because that's it. And like nobody else even like steps out through the doorway to help. Like they're all, mm. you know, they're mm. at, that cast is all in the trailer. Ac- Acres is injured and he's the guy helping everyone up. It's like, come on. I'm thinking when 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 uh, the explosion happens and everybody starts panicking and trying to climb up and it's only Reverend Scott holding the top of the tree. And meanwhile, the other everyone else who's already climbed it is just standing back in the in the galley, <laughs> like listening through the doorway and not even looking to see what's going on. Uh, I was like, okay, well, they, they didn't want to schedule everyone that day. All right, fine. Now, my notes kind of disappear at this point. I'm not sure if this was because I was involved, but I can't remember what happens other than the sense that that um, no one thinks to turn off the gas that's burning up all the oxygen in the kitchen. Um, I thought about that. Like, would you take the time to look for the for the spigot? You know, maybe it's, maybe you would. Maybe, maybe it's hot. You would, you'd nah. burn your hand. And like, now waving your jacket at smoke doesn't seem like it's gonna <laughs> be very uh, effective. That was a. Yeah, but I will tell you what is effective. For some reason, Red Buttons laying his jacket over the dead woman, the first dead woman he sees, was weirdly powerful for me. Mm, yeah, I don't. I remember when that happens. I just had that note. It was like, like him that's doing the, that. That's in the bottom. Yeah. He doesn't close her eyes. Her eyes. He are doesn't open. close her eyes. Yeah. But if you cover her face, is I guess it's the same thing. Right. It just felt like he should have closed her eyes. But who am I to judge? Right. I've um, never sorry, quite been in that situation. So they have a whole thing about going through the doors, and 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 there's some tiffs about leadership at this point, um, about what does Hackman get him into. The next note I have is I think when they already see the the next gaggle of people, yeah, who are heading towards the front. What is there anything else that happens? In between there that you want to talk about? Yeah, so in between um, uh, is when uh, they they have to climb through the shaft. They have the uh, uh, Lonnie's panic attack on the ladder and red buttons Mm -hmm. being extremely patient with her. You know, they're in a life and death situation. The fact that she's frozen on this ladder is Mm -hmm. could result in them all getting killed. Right, like they they need to get her up that ladder. And and does it result? It doesn't result in Acres getting killed, but he does die in the scene. No, is yeah, it, this is right after Acres falls. Oh, okay. Right, and that's so Rogos had to dive in after Acres. Um, uh, can't save him, so he's stuck on the ladder. And we see red buttons. It's like it's the second instance where I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to be, you know, I. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take care of you. I can see that you need taken care of, so I'm going to take care You're right. of you. You're right. I'm going to see, which is which is a quality that Mrs. Rosen has as well, which is these qualities that get other people through, is, is, that, is that I see you need extra special stuff. Yeah. So instead of abandoning you, I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was weirdly powerful. Yeah. More powerful in afterthought when I'm thinking about it now, but, but definitely, definitely powerful. It made me think of Ichabod put on his shoes, and like if I could just, I don't my I, for something that's not life and death, I can't have that same patience. <laughs> you know, like, just fucking put them on. Just put them on. Just put them on. <laughs> just do right. it. 
It is interesting how we don't have the patience for those things, but when it is life and death, we can have that patience, which I goes to so. show you. What's that? I don't. I. I. I don't know if I I don't know if I passed the red button test in that moment. I think I'm the Mike Rogo in that situation. Yeah, because you did feel for Rogo down there going, <laughs> like, get your ass up the ladder, just move. Which, yeah. in a weird way, is what you know. Uh, what's his name, Reverend Scott's trying to say? It's like you got to help yourself. You got to move. You got to act. You can't just yeah stay on a ladder and not do anything. The thing I remember with my son, and I'm probably a little too honest with him uh, as a parent, is we keep telling him, look, you have to listen to us. You have to do what we say to do because there might be a time when your life depends on it. And I don't want you sitting there going, I'm just going to do the opposite. <laughs> right. Just because you said it. And it's like, no, you, you, you know, it could be your life at this point. And then... In your own, and you would lose your life because you're just trying to be oppositional. Yeah. Ugh. Right. <laughs> the bus isn't going to hit me. It was worth it. Dead now, but you know, it was worth it. I didn't do what those cronies said to do. Oh, before the ladder, um, I yeah. wanted to talk about this moment. So when they're going up the upside down staircase, and Martin and Lonnie are at the bottom, and the water starts rushing in. Lonnie yeah. starts screaming. This is like kind of her first panic attack. And at the water rushing in. And I was like, boy, she's really overreacting at the fact that she's going to get a little wet before she gets up the <laughs> stairs. But then the body starts floating through the water. Right. And it's just like very casual. The camera doesn't focus on it. I mean, it's in focus. But like it's not, it's, it's, not, it's framed in a casual way. Like it's uh, yeah. uh, incidental to the moment. And it's like a chair or anything that's yeah. floating there. And just the fact that this guy floating face down, it reminded me of Dawn of the Dead, just like the way it oh. kind of treated zombies for a while. Like they're just sort of in the background. And like what's creepy is that how casual it is in a way. Like that was yeah. that was kind of unnerving to me in a little bit, the way that was that was treated. Yeah, th those were the the really effective parts of just just there being bodies everywhere. Yeah. You know, it just was just yeah. And it wasn't like a jump scare or No, right. that 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 was it was the casualness of casual casualness of disaster that was so affecting in this, which yeah. you could I think a lot of filmmakers today would say call that lazy whereas I found it very effective. I did, yeah, I agree. It wasn't like a door opening and a dead body falling out on them or anything. It was, it was just they're there, and that's not something you just see lying about. Yeah. All right. Okay. They now they see the people following the false prophet. <laughs> well, now and this is the to me this is where I really start debating what I think the movie's doing and what I think Hackman's character is doing. Okay. Because you see the you, you see this this group of people walking by, and at first I'm I think Hackman's in the wrong at first because he's saying he's there's a the a, a ship official there who's basically saying this is the way and it contradicts with count contradicts contradicts 
<laughs> That's going to be my new sitcom. Counter dicks. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like clerks. Uh, it, ca- it contradicts his, all his motivations. So he's resistant, which rightfully so. Sorry, and it I goes against... I distracted by contradicts. So what, what's going... Yeah. <laughs> what, what's contradicting what? I just poured myself some scotch, so I apologize. <laughs> It contradicts his all his goals up to that point. It's like we're trying to get to the engine room and get out, and everyone's going the other way. Yeah. But it's also led by people who know the boat. But then I have to tell myself it's by the ship's doctor, yeah. who isn't really versed in that. So to me, to me, this is where the movie starts going into like a distrust authority kind of. It did that earlier, yeah. But now it's like the '70s kind of distrust authority. Which then Rogo, as a police department detective, this is before, as a police department, uh, Watergate, Scotch, yeah. damn it! <laughs> What'd you say? This is before Watergate, even. It's for Watergate, and so you're kind of like still this kind of this growing distrust of the establishment, which I, I imagine is going is going there. Vietnam yeah, um, is playing into that, too. Yeah. right? Is like you're not trusting your leaders, but it's an instant distrust, and I feel like the movie's kind of taking that as given. It's like, we, you shouldn't trust your leaders. When part of me was kind of feeling like the movie should have that conflict of should we trust our leaders? Yeah. And uh, because Reverend Scott seems to be just full steam ahead this way because I know. And Rogo feel, felt to me to be presented to be in the wrong for wanting to trust the leaders. When I didn't necessarily think he was in the wrong to do so. Um, but I felt like the movie was trying to say he was, I don't think I I'm sympathetic with Rogo here. I think he is right to be skeptical of Reverend yeah. Scott, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, he is. Maybe Reverend Scott isn't the best guy to be following. Maybe these people know what they're talking about. You know, they're saying right. the engine room's gone. They're coming from the direction of the engine room. Now it does seem but counterintuitive key, that they're going down. Like the key, some- yeah, it does seem weird. But there are a lot of things that are counterintuitive in a disaster. There's yeah. a lot of things that are counterintuitive in life. And Reverend but Scott's going to lead them down in order to go eventually, up. Eventually, right? yeah, yeah, he's going to lead them underwater to go up eventually. Yeah. Now the thing that I, um, the key line here in this sequence, is when the 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 group marches on. Toward the, the, ast. What's the front of the boat? The, um, the bow. The bow. The front, yeah. He's leading them toward the bow. And he says, "Well, we're going to the engine room. There's a way out of the engine room because this kid told me so." <laughs> um, and uh, they're like, "No, it's un- whatever. It's it's gone. You can't do it. If we're going this way." And then Hackman yells after them, "Did you check the engine room? Did you see it?" That's the key. Hmm. Is he keeps saying, "Are you?" And and, and he is being lit, driven by his own faith and his own ideas, but he's questioning theirs by saying, "Do you know this for a fact? Yeah, or are you just going on your faith? Right? Can't you hear the explosions? <laughs> right? Can't like you they're... hear it? <laughs> you know, it's like, did you see it? Do you know it? And like." Don't you see the jump cuts during the explosion sequences? (laughs) Did you see it in a way is directly 
oppositional to faith. Yeah, it's true. He's being skeptical. Yeah. yeah. And but rightly so, I think in that moment. Uh, you know, to say if I'm going to discount everything I believe, I have to have proof that it's false. Yeah. You know, which is completely reasonable. Yeah, sure. So in those moments I'm totally with Hackman and totally against Rogo. You know, uh, because he's like, I need, I need, so, so, and this is where Hackman's um, journey really be- starts to become powerful for me. Because he, he goes, because as a, as a pr- reverend, he needs validation, he needs evidence of what he believes in order to follow it. Hmm. Or rather, he needs, he needs evidence in order to convince everyone to follow it. Yeah. And uh, and it is very powerful. Eventually, when he says to I forget who the who Shelby's brother is, Robin's Robin's sister rather is, when he tells her go back there, and if I'm not there in 15 minutes, tell him he was right. You know, tell Rogo he was right. Yeah. Tell Rogo he was right, and yeah. they could follow everybody else. Um. Susan, Susan, Shelby. Susan. So like, so like the weird thing is, is that why that moment feels big is because he realizes he's arrogant, <laughs> right? He's starting to, doubt. Um, yeah. he's starting to doubt and he's starting to go, maybe I've just been a, a fool, um, and, and believing all in myself and not in what the world is, is the thing. Because I, I, I'm watching this whole thing and I'm thinking to myself, how does Hackman know? How can he be so sure? Is it faith? He argues with multiple officers who work on the boat and only trust this waiter and this kid. And then what do you know? As soon as I think that, like two seconds later, Borgnine brings up that exact point. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. The movie's... <laughs> The movie's not leaving me stranded. It's actually wrestling with this. There are very few moments in the movie where the people say, you know, to give any sort of, like, thing back to their adversaries or their allies. Like, okay, so the swimming... (laughs) I wrote my notes at this point. What makes this an adventure? (laughs) (laughs) This is not an adventure at all. (laughs) This is all awfulness. So I, I have to admit that swimming sequence was really good. Yeah. I, uh, the swimming sequence is so harrowing and so like, and it feels so much like it's one of those few times in a movie when you watch, like we have to do this in order to survive. And then you see people aren't willing to do it. <laughs> and you're like, you're stupid. So you just want to sit here and die. Is that what you're thinking? But it's yeah. kind of like this thing of like, um, um, it's like go in there and die or die right here. What do we do? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, and I love seeing Shelly Winters having her moment because I knew she was one of the richest characters in the movie. So you're like, when is she going to do something, you know? And so this was very nice. I have to admit, I didn't like the heart attack. No? I thought it was pretty lame. It's like cheap. And I was, There's a cheap, yeah, cheap yeah. I wanted more for her, and um, it, it just kind of came off. It felt cheap, and 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 I thought it was weird. And maybe, maybe I'm wrong about this. 
but I, I, I felt like it was very, I almost thought it was sexist, actually, to have her die. And Hackman never, didn't say a word until she died. And then he's like, why? <laughs> she saved his life. She saved their lives. And, and then he doesn't even say anything to her. Like, I think the thing is, is that maybe that would be a tragedy. And there's be something to be said about that. Maybe like he's just focused on other things. But it bothered me that he, it, the movie didn't look, he didn't look like he was motivated to say anything. You know what I mean? It's not that he didn't say anything. He didn't look motivated to. And then she died. He's like, why? You will be. You are a martyr. It's like, well, couldn't you like said anything like that before she died? <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't mind that she died. I just didn't like the way it happened. I thought it was pretty cheap. Hmm. Um, which is, um, I don't know. I, I, felt, I felt robbed of something. So just the, like just her sacrificing herself. I mean, she could have no. just not gotten out of the. She could have sacrificed herself to f- flee him, and she doesn't get out of the water, and she. Yeah, drowns. that actually I would have preferred. Yeah. Because she did. She got out of the water. She did it. She accomplished it. She got them both out, and then it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, that's just that's like the writer or God striking her down for doing some, what she did, as opposed to her, like shoving him up and 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 like choosing to have him go instead of her you know it, like it'd be hard to shoot though i mean asking shelly winters to do an underwater <laughs> death scene might be i don't know like logistically come back to me be. on that okay but yeah all right but um but yeah that's i don't know it just it 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 felt it was just one of those things where it's like, let's get rid of the women. <laughs> oh. And it just, it, it had that stank on it. And I, I, didn't, it, I, I, I don't know. I think the fact that she was, um, she, when her moment came, she, she stepped up. She. Yeah. No, that shit out of the park. She did. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's the part that it felt like a surge of like, Heroicism that was then immediately disrespected, and it, it didn't feel like tragedy. It felt like disrespect. Oh, I don't know. I didn't to get me. that. I don't, I, don't, I don't have that feeling from it. Just well, like good tragedy. because I did. But then it. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you didn't because it's a horrible feeling. But then, like it, it, Shelley Winters doing that. That's like one of my iconic movie moments as a kid. Oh, yeah. Like for me that's the big moment of the movie. Like that's I remember oh, yeah, it that should better be. than it, the it, than the ballroom scene, right? It absolutely should be. It absolutely should be. And that was uh like even as a kid with my friends, like trying to you try to have your go to uh movie references and impressions. And just one <laughs> of my go to impressions was Shelley Winter saying, I can hold my breath for three minutes because that's how <laughs> It's two minutes, 47 seconds, but of course, turn that into three minutes. Uh, this is weird. It's 9.30 p.m. here on the West Coast. Yeah. And I've been listening to the people next door hammering nails into the wall. Hanging up some pictures? I guess so. And it's not, it's fine. 
but it's been sporadic and now it's happening again. And I'm thinking, you're really hanging pictures at 930 at night when you were hanging pictures earlier today? What's or are you telling me that I'm talking too loud? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Are you, ha are you hanging up pictures or are you telling me that I'm too loud? Does it sound like they're hammering into the floor? No, it's happening into the wall. Okay. I'm pretty sure. You, you know, tradition says you bang on the floor if you want to. Or the ceiling, depending on where your neighbor is. But if you're next door, if you're oh, literally it's, next door. Oh, it's your it's next like door. Literally, it's literally on the other side of this computer monitor. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, you're, I, thought your, your eyes, I saw your eyes go up, and I thought that was towards the ceiling. Oh, no, I, that, that was more in just wonderment. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck are they doing? But then again, I got no room to... We, we don't have any wall coverings or floor coverings, and, and I got a nine-year-old, and I'm 300 pounds, and I got no room to judge. <laughs> so, maybe anyhow. it's like a real tricky... Maybe it's like um, nail art. Like, maybe they're doing... Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the, on, on the Grand Jetty... Pointillism <laughs> with nails. Or maybe they're solving a murder and they're putting all that red string up. Maybe that's like it. all over the world. They just don't have a cork board go, and they gotta they gotta work with work yeah, with what they buy got. Buy them some thumbtacks. You know what? I'm if you're if you're trying to get the second Golden State killer, you go right ahead. I'm not gonna complain. Is there a second one? I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just trying to <laughs> I knew that one was already caught, so... You're thinking ahead to when they divide California into multiple states, and then you got to have a separate Golden State What, so there'll be each. three states more bigger than Texas? Is that what we're talking about? Or oh, where they, that joke is? They each get their own... You get the, each get their own killer? Yeah. Mm. Hey, I got... Quick, quick, quick aside. We'll cut this out, maybe. Okay. Um, do you remember a horror movie... Any horror, I've attributed it to the 1988 movie Bad Dreams. Bad Dreams. Never saw the movie, but I remember the trailer. I've seen it. And you've seen it? I don't know. Sounds familiar. Um, I remember a movie, and I've attributed it to that movie, where the trailer said, You know Jason, you know Freddy, you know Michael. Now meet Horace. Though uh, in no. the movie, I when I go to the Bad Dreams trailer, the the the, the character in, in in question is named Harris. So <laughs> I think I may have mistook it, but <laughs> I always laugh so hard at. Gee, I wonder why Horace never took off as one of those. <laughs> one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Slasher movie icons. Richard Lynch as Franklin Harris. Yeah, I yeah, that might be. And so, but I, I, I went googling for it, and I can't find a trailer or a poster that says, "You know Jason, you know Freddy, you know Michael." Now, Leet Horace or Harris. This poster uh, says I, I used to, it's a scream. <laughs> Oh, it does? Because most of them said, like, 13 years ago, she was in a cult. And, like, it goes on to tell the whole damn story. Uh, Cynthia's um, got a grave problem. There you go. Got a grave problem. 13 years ago, something terrifying almost killed her. Now it's come back to finish the job. Bad dreams. It's a scream. The trailer looks pretty 
horrific, I have to say. I was watching it again recently and going like, it looks just genuinely unpleasant. <laughs> but I, I just remember laughing so hard as a kid, as an eighth grader, going, meet Horace. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be great. Anywho, sorry. I don't know how I got onto that. I know how, actually, I take that back. I know how I got onto that scotch. All right. Um, okay. Let's go back to Shelly Winters Diving. Shelly Winters. Okay. She holds her breath. Sorry, Shelly. We had to take a quick a sojourn to Bad Dreams Land. Yeah. Come back. That's all right. <laughs> um, okay. She says she can hold her breath for two minutes, 47 seconds. Mm-hmm. If we time her. Do you want to guess oh, yeah? how long she holds her breath? Screen time. Now, there's some overlapping action. I'm taking some some guesses here. Um, because when Scott first goes down, it's total screen time from when he goes down is one minute, eight seconds. Is at the point when Red Button says he's been down there for 39 seconds. But we've been cutting back and forth from him to right. them. So figure, okay, well, that's parallel. So going from that point, so starting, we're taking that at a 39-second mark. Okay. Okay. How long do you think he and Shelly Winters are underwater, just going by underwater footage? Price is right rules? Sure. (laughs) Um, It felt like forever. I would say, given movie logic, it's always longer it's just always longer than is possible. But I don't really remember it being that long. So I'm going to say, you said she could hold her breath for three minutes what? She says she, when she won the record, it was uh, for the Young Women's Swimming Association. Two minutes, 47 seconds. And she's got like three or four necklaces for that. Um, I'm going to say it was like four minutes. It felt like that. Twin. It felt like that with him getting trapped and then her yeah. freeing him. And like, there's no way he survives that. He's underwater for two minutes. She's underwater for one minute, 21 seconds. Yeah. But that's a lot of exertion. It is. You know? It is. Because because people say, I can hold my breath for that long. It's like, yeah, I'm in a pool when you're not scared for your life and not trying to circumvent things that could hurt you or kill you yeah. or trap you. And you're just like sitting still under the water probably. Yeah. Yeah. Or floating. So, you know, heroic. So heroic. Kudos, kudos to them for actually keeping it under. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It, it, I was surprised when I went and timed it. I'm like, oh, it felt like a lot longer than that. Okay. Um, so <laughs> she gets her medal taken away for having a heart attack after doing way less time underwater. She, yes. <laughs> she, title, title rescinded. Title revoked, lady. Okay. Come on. All right. She comes up. Two minutes. She does She does it. She comes up. She's got to have this little conversation with Reverend Scott. This is why she can't drown. No, it's a one side. She gets the monologue at him. He a, doesn't say a fucking thing. She says, <laughs> uh, she repeats something that he says earlier in the movie, that life always matters very much. Which... Is my contender for most aspirationally profound statement that lands like a thud. It just has no <laughs> has no music in it whatsoever. This is like this is the post-it note on the screenplay saying 
fix this line. <laughs> and so that Shelly Winters in her death rose, having to say, life always matters very much. Really, really a lot. <laughs> no, seriously, you guys. It matters way mucho. Life is good, gooder than death. Good, gooder than death. Which makes what's about to happen to me very sad. So your brother Todd bought me a book. Yes. Years ago, years ago, over a decade ago, called The Dog Fighter, because I had this uh, TV show I wanted to make <laughs> about... It still could. It would have been like an Incredible Hulk kind of thing. It would be a serial, like a traveling adventurer, oddball, mm-hmm. misfit, who had a specialty <laughs> in fighting dogs. <laughs> Personally, not not getting other dogs to fight no, other no. dogs. Like personally fighting the dogs. Yeah, like engaging right. dogs in hand to hand combat. <laughs> and so he would just like kind of roam around, but then he would encounter someone with a problem, and this problem would right. involve a dangerous dog. A dog. And so they'd always come right. like it, he he tries to avoid it. Like I don't like hurting dogs. Maybe there's another way around your problem. There's an abusive boyfriend, not. like, let's go to the police, let's get a social worker, and it always comes down where he's got to face off with the dog. And so then <laughs> it has a sequence, it's kind of like Bill Bixby's transformation sequence. He, right. Like, pulls off his shirt, slaps the oil on his chest, oils himself up. You know, maybe, maybe it's... Crisco or chicken grease or something. He's got a. It's, it's that same pre-recorded sequence, like uh, like Manimal. It's not like He-Man <laughs> transformation. It's not like a filmation thing. It, you know, like it's in different oh, settings. Every can time. it be? Because <laughs> sometimes he's in a junkyard. Sometimes he's <laughs> doesn't matter at the beach. You know, he's going to be in different places when this happens. Right. I've heard of a green screen. Come on. And then and then he fights the dog. He punches him and kicks him and bites him. And... <laughs> the internet would love this. There's nothing the internet nothing the internet hates more than dogs. And then he feels bad, you know, people like will witness him fighting the dog and he becomes like the town pariah and then he has got to move on. Like he, all the relationships yeah, he, just, he just built. He just fought a dog. Yeah. He kills it. He kills the dog. He kills. It's like he pummels it into like a paste-like substance. Is that what you're saying? And then he's got to move on. All the relationships that he's spent an hour building. Gone. This week, he's, he's killed a dog. Yeah, he's, they're, they're into separate. paste. He did. You know, it's like a sling blade moment. He had to right. make a deliberate choice to. Oh God! Can you have a sling blade every week? That would be too much to take. Love Sling. Well, I watch Sling Blade a lot. I saw it like seven times in the theater. It was crazy. Oh man, it's a great movie. <laughs> my favorite. That's my favorite movie. The uh, and so Todd, spotting this book on the shelf, the Dog Fighter, uh, bought it for me, and it's about a guy who fights dogs. It's got, Is it on the cover? It's got like a kid pointing a gun at the camera. There's no kids. There's no guns. There's no. It's nothing to do. The kid has freckles. The main okay, character is Mexican. Okay. So many things not right about that, but the worst is that you said camera. (laughs) 
No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's go a ahead. photograph. Go ahead. Go ahead. The, it's a photograph. It's a, photograph. It's a good, 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 good camera. Hey. The camera, I got you. I got you. I'm sorry. I'm being a dick. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> the, at the viewer, at the reader, okay? At the, right. All right. To make you feel there's better. There's no, honestly, the, the thing is funny about that was that there's no better way to say it than to say the camera. I mean, it, it looks, it really looks like a photograph they found at an estate sale. And decided to use on this book because they thought it looked cool. Of, you know, violent kids. There's always just photographs at estate sales of yeah. violent kids pointing guns at You know, people. flea market, something like that. It's very, it's very 90s, late 90s. Uh, you know, when the police have their evidence sales, yard sales, when the police put have all their evidence bags out on the front sidewalk that you can buy, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyway, I bring this up because, uh, so Todd should know, I finally read this book. It's when the pandemic started. I'm like, okay, I'm going to, with all this extra free time, I'm going to do a lot of reading. And so the first book I pull off the shelf is this book, The Dogfighter, which had been given to me over a decade ago and which I'd never read. And like, it's time to read The Dogfighter. And it wasn't about planes? It was, no, no, no biplanes, no Great Baron, Red Baron, mm. uh, or Snoopy. Snoopy does not appear well, I'm out. as either a fighter in the sky or in the pit. Um, okay. <laughs> and so, uh, and then it uh, it took me forever to read this book because it sucked. <laughs> so my so this is my goal okay, of getting wait, a lot of reading. This is done. just one of those. This is one of those gifts like my brother and I always give, which is just stuff. Based on the surf, is it a cover-based gift? He didn't read the book first, and I don't expect that right. of him. You know, there's no reason right. for him to. Um, and the movie, the book could have been good, but one of the things that was annoying about it is it, it's a the main character's Mexican. The entire action takes place in Mexico, <laughs> but it's in English except Sorry. for just a few phrases. It's peppered with. Enough Spanish for that this writer who like went to the Iowa Writers Workshop to just like demonstrate that he knows a little Spanish. I don't know. Like I don't know why this guy who uh, reading his bio has he, he's got nothing to do with Mexico whatsoever. Like why he thought he had to make this his character and place his action here. Like uh, maybe he took a very memorable vacation once. I don't know. But the other thing is uh, this, th- this character is uh, a brute, a brutish person. And I think to reflect this, like his internal monologue, it's a first person narrative. Like his, his, his language is very clipped. It's very straightforward. And he says the phrase very much a lot. So, okay, this is how it ties in. Okay, all right. very much. Long, long, long journey to get. Here. Hey, I'm the king of long. So there's you know things. There's like one part where he punches somebody and it hurt my hand very much. And it's just I. And I, uh, I don't know. That book was terrible. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Todd. So that is an, that a really that is nice an, thought. It, that was an anti-plug for a very nice thought. Yeah. Right. It was a good gift. Thank you, Todd, very much for getting me the dogfighter. I will not plug it. 
If you want it back, you should it's, read it. It's adjectives or it's um, positives are not. No. <laughs> and he does kill dogs with his bare hands, so that was kind of interesting. Oh, that's always good. I don't know when that's not good. <laughs> All right. All right. So everybody else gets moving the on. Ernest Borgnine. Because we are officially longer than the movie now. Oh, great. <laughs> we, we've, we've done our own cutting back and forth. Uh, Rogo comes through, finds out that Mrs. Rosen's dead, says, You had a lot of guts, lady. Not a fat joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had a lot of guts, lady. And you had a lot of guts, but that's not what I'm talking about. No, wait. Oh, gosh, I feel terrible. How am I going to... So as a kid, seeing this, 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 this sequence made a big impression on me. I have to admit, I, like, oh, it's a fat lady who, who did this rescue. Like, that's not yeah. what you expect. But then I thought... Oh, well, she can hold her breath so long because she's fat. <laughs> fat equals lung capacity. Like she's got more, more yeah. room to hold air. I don't know. That's what I thought as a kid. Yeah. I was, well, I was dumb ad- too. Uh, let me tell you something. As a 45-year-old adult, I'm here to tell you that more fat equals less lung capacity. <laughs> because I have trouble sleeping at night because I'm so fat. Oh, <laughs> So let me just dispel that myth right now. But I will say... You should get tested this, for sleep apnea when in, you can do it without endangering your life. I'm, I, I have been, and they told me I was fat. <laughs> so, you've, I win the QP doll, I guess. You've got sleep so, fatnia. I got sleep fatnia. Oh, thanks, Doc. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I don't. I totally have sleep fatnia. It's it's not a question. <laughs> Let me tell you this. So I had early success with going to an acupuncturist. There's a UCLA like East West Medicine Clinic, and the first guy that did me had did some acupuncture on me that totally took away the muscle pain in one foot. Hmm. To where I was limping when I came back from his office. And I was like, why am I limping? And then I realized it was because one foot didn't hurt. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, this acupunct- acupuncture thing really works. It's amazing. And so, and then every time I went back, it was, I got this other, okay, this is terrible, but it's true. It's terrible. The guy that did my first acupuncture was a white guy. Yeah. White Jewish man did the thing. And I'm like, and I'm like, I can't wait to go back. I was given to what they said was their preeminent guy who was an, an Asian man, an older Asian gentleman. And ever since then, no acupuncture work actually worked on me. Hmm. Nothing did anything close to what that first session did and I and uh every time I came in he would go so where do you hurt and I go uh well everywhere (laughs) I've hurt since I was five years old everywhere the only time I've not hurt 
is that time that one guy did that acupuncture on me and my left foot didn't hurt for like a week. <laughs> and, um, uh, and I would just say, well, neck, shoulders, arms, forearms, thighs, lower back, upper back, middle back, feet, calves. And I go through the whole thing every time. And then one time the guy said to me what I was waiting, weirdly waiting to hear. Uh, he said, where do you hurt? And I went through the litany of everywhere where I hurt. And he just said, you know, if you just lost some weight, you wouldn't have to come here. And I went, ah, you're right. <laughs> So I'm here to tell you that sleep fatnia is a thing. <laughs> it's totally a thing. It closes my throat off when I sleep so far that I have to sleep on my side so that my throat doesn't close my throat off. And now my forearms hurt because I wake up and I'm pushing myself off the bed when I wake up because I'm trying to keep myself up from closing off my throat because I'm so fat <laughs> so it's a thing so that old Asian acupuncturist who wasn't good at acupuncture <laughs> he's right he's totally right he's not good at acupuncture but he's totally right. Ancient if Chinese I just secret. lost weight, ancient Chinese secret: don't be fat. Okay, <laughs> I, I think I got the message loud and clear. The problem I'm having right now is just like because my body hurts so much, it discourages me from exercise because mm. it hurts. So, how do I exercise when it hurts? Plus, being in a pandemic in an apartment where it disturbs everyone in the building. When a 300, man, 300 pound man does jumping, jumping jack. Okay, we're getting too far into this. <laughs> That's why you keep watching those pulse pounding movies like Death Wish. Exactly. Okay. All right. Oh, one so, more thing. Going through the tunnel. I just, I just had to mention this. The tunnel. The, the underwater oh, is, sequence. Right. Nani is scared to go under. We talked about this. So Martin stays with mm. her. He ends up holding her mouth. Like they're going through. He's like he's got his hand over her mouth, and he's like he's behind her. So it's like he's grabbing her head, and they come out, and it seems like she swallowed some water. But like that's not how you stop someone from swallowing water. Like clasping your well, this, hand over his mouth. How's that, how's that helping? This it, it whole movie bad. is full of men grabbing women's heads. When they're when they need to be saved or comforted, and just like Gene Hackman grabs Susan Susan's head a couple times, like a couple times, and just wrenches it around and goes, eh. yeah. <laughs> you're like, so it's that's just I'm not, I chalk that up to seventies. Eh, we do get to the very end before there's a hysterical slap. That is mercifully true. They're up on the catwalk. Uh, and they have to slap uh, Nani. Well, they don't have to. No, they choose no, to. No, they don't have to. Okay. They're climbing the catwalk. Climb the catwalk. Again, what's, what makes this an, event, an adventure? 
Manny's. <laughs> <laughs> Manny's told this place is among the living. They go up. Um, oh, oh, wait. Well, real quick. Yeah. I do appreciate the fact that they say they make a coordinated effort not to tell Manny that Shelly Winters had died. Yeah. And then they go back. She and made it through. Is, she made it through, which was a great thing to say. Yeah. And then he's like, but is she okay? Yeah. <laughs> it was it was a pretty great moment. It didn't I work. Have to they tried. It didn't work. They tried. We're like, dude, to save your life, I have to like lie to you right now. Yeah. And and it doesn't work. And it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really cool. Oh, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, Grandpa Joe. All right. They're getting up there. Linda falls. Oh. 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 Rogo loses it. You suckered me in. I started to believe we had a chance. What chance? You took from me the only thing I ever loved in the whole world. Now, that's a little. A lot of this movie is about people making things about you. You know, Reverend (laughs) Scott does this a lot. He makes things yeah. about me, about him a lot that don't have to be about him. As much as he does kind of act like an asshole sometimes, I thought this was a little unfair of Rogo. This, this yeah, but you you can forgive him for being like emotional, but at the same time, distraught. it was also like, at the same time, it was one of those things where it was like, my wife died, you, yeah, my <laughs> and it was like, you wait, uh, you know, um. Is, uh, yeah, it was a bit. It was a bit discordant. And then there's uh, one of those lines where the the steam uh, starts blowing in front of the door, and Robin has to say, "The hot steam! It's blocking our escape!" Like <laughs> it didn't look hot enough <laughs> on camera, so they like, yeah, they got to dailies and like that steam doesn't look hot. We have to, we got to get it, a line it, here. It, it certainly didn't feel as treacherous as everything else they went through yeah. previously. Yeah, it could have been fire. It could the, it could have been a gas on uh, with some flame. But then we get right. like this. This is this is a a, a big moment. Yeah, Hack, Hackman Hackman's death wheel, here. Yeah, as he leaps over and grabs that turning valve. It's his death is weirdly quick. But I really appreciated his whole speech and how he died. This is good writing. Although right it was really good and writing. And they set his up the red wheel. Re- you see it a couple times in advance, so you, yeah. you know where it is. The fact that it's red yeah. was a good choice. Just making it red was a good choice. I mean, the fa- and then you think of the whole thing of God loves winners, God loves triers, and he's just like, I have. This is just what has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It has to happen. So he does it. And he's doing that pretty miraculous physical feat of twisting the thing while hanging on to it. Yeah. And, and cursing and, God at the same time. And cursing God the whole time. <laughs> um, and his last words are about Rogo, right? We'll drop this one in. This one's too good. We didn't ask you to fight for us. But damn it, don't fight against us. Leave us alone! How many more sacrifices? How much more blood? How many more lives? That wasn't enough! 
another life. Then take me! You can make it! Keep going! Rogo! Get them through! It is a great monologue. It's one of those ones where you're like, okay, Hackman, I know you're phoning this in for money, but this was actually pretty good. Not, I don't think he's phoning anything in this movie in. He's, he's putting oh, in the work. I, I think he's phoning it in. He's just pretty good. He's such a good actor that his phoning it in is better than most. So you think he's phoning then, it in? You don't think he's... Oh, completely. Really? Uh, especially in his first scene. The first scene, I think he's totally phoning it in. Really? But then in this scene is the one where he really like goes, okay, I guess I need to step it up. <laughs> the first scene where uh, on the on the deck where he's talking on the deck you. where he's talking, I it was kind of I felt like he was phoning it in, but still Hackman phoning it in is better than most actors at their best. It's just true. Okay. Cool. So like. But I felt like he was really funny because <laughs> he's Gene fucking Hackman. It's it's that it's that. I think one of the truest MST3K quotes quips rather is when they're watching Space Travelers, which is that repackaged version of Marooned. Okay, and it's got. Have you seen this one? Mm, no, because they do a movie that's got Gregory Peck, Gene Hackman, Richard Crenna. And like it was an Oscar-winning movie that they did, but some distributor chopped it up and make, retitled it Space Travelers, and it didn't make any sense. So the whole time they're doing this movie with Gene Hackman in it, and so <laughs> they're all going the entire time. Boy, Hackman's really good in this. <laughs> Hackman's really good in this, and like they even have a Crow who does a you know Trace Beaulieu who does a killer Gregory Peck. The Hackman is an astronaut on the screen and Gregory Peck's at like Houston Control. So he's looking at it and they always have him go, boy, Hackman's really good in this. <laughs> he can't not be good. <laughs> Gene Hackman's good. You were, you were, he's good. Even when he phones it in. He's, even when he phones it in, he's amazing. So what did you think of Red and Buttons so, in this movie? Yeah. We talked about Borgnine's acting, which I, I think Borgnine's good in this movie it's he's he's silly I think, and i accuse him of being the hammiest actor on board the purser totally outdoes him. oh the purser is the worst ladies and gentlemen borg nine is a good actor but i feel like he i don't know how to put this there are times that his style works and there are times when it doesn't so that's dependent on the director and casting to basically make that decision because he's not going to. <laughs> that's kind of my feeling. And so Borgnine to me didn't really work this time for, for me personally. Um, but I like Borgnine. It didn't make me not like Borgnine. Yeah. I like Borgnine a lot. I guess he doesn't work from the um, point of view, although I think a lot of this is the writing, that I just don't believe... I don't believe that character. I don't believe he's a... Detective Lieutenant for a minute <laughs> in this movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> Suppositories. What the, what's that, Doc? Uh, but at the same time, Hackman is super good, and I don't think he's 
doing that great a job either. I think he's phoning it in, and I think uh, Borgnine's playing to the rafters. And I feel like it's like a, a, a it's like two different styles that don't mix. Uh, okay, okay, okay. People accuse Iron Man two of like Mickey Rourke and Sam Rockwell being in two different movies in their scenes, but that's a case where that works, in my opinion. I think that works incredibly well. This is a segment where I don't think it works well. <laughs> that they're in kind of two different movies or, 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 or their styles feel like they're not approaching it the same way. I mean, Borgnine's making it look like it's life or death. <laughs> and Hackman could care less. <laughs> but yet Hackman has a better ability and organize, Borgnine's playing to his top strength, to like his dinner theater crowd, right? And so both I respect, and so I don't know how I feel about it, honestly. Okay. But um, What about Red Buttons? Doing this kind of milksop routine. Well, I wouldn't watch his um, famous celebrity roast, never got a dinner bit, because I'm like, wait, this is, how, how far off from this is his, this is usual comic persona? Right. And it's like, this isn't, he's not, he's not usually doing this, like, Soft, so soft around the edges, kind of guy. Oh, he's a, he's a little more edgy. You mean? Well, just like um, a little more New York. <laughs> I see. I have to look at Red Buttons is one of those guys, quite like Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger, where I like they've been ubiquitous in my life, but I've never actually seen much of what they've done. Yeah. My dad always talked about walking like Red Buttons because I have a hip disorder. And my feet turn out. I can't walk pigeon-toed, and so my dad would always say, "You walk like walk like red buttons." Hmm. And he would turn his feet inward and, and walk that way. And I would try, and I couldn't because I have a hip disorder. It turns my feet out like a penguin. And um, so red buttons has always been ubiquitous in my head, but I don't think I've actually seen anything he's done. He's been in a ton of stuff, though. It's- Right, but I've apparently only seen the dramatic stuff. I've never seen the comedy. I always got him confused with so. Red Skeleton. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, it's Red Skeleton. You're right. Skeleton. It's Red Skeleton that walks with his feet inward. Walk like Red Skeleton. It's not Red Buttons. Okay. What the fuck? Well, it's like, why do they have these two comedians named Red? You know, just don't do that. Yeah. You imagine what happened when I started watching Red Green. I like slipped my fucking wrists. Uh, okay, he, Red Green. He is might have the most like unpleasant it. voice in showbiz. <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I I'm I'm gargling with small rodents. <laughs> <sighs> okay, Gene Hackman. He turns the wheel. Gene Hackman. He falls because he can't do anything else. I was really affected by his death. Pretty profoundly, except for one thing, or maybe because of it, did it seem like he was dying more out of spite (laughs) (laughs) to either God or Rogo? Or did you think of it as a genuine sacrifice? Was it more out of spite or was it more out of sacrifice? He looked like 
I think he did a sacrifice, but it looked more like spite. Well, he's spite, he he's spite against God. He's, he's right. you know, I mean, he's, he's venting. As he closes the vent, he's venting. Uh, <laughs> um, that, that he has to do this, you know, like, yeah. Um, this why is do we have to struggle to this hard? You know, why he's, he's preaching the whole time that we have to struggle. If you're cold, set the building on fire. You know, this is him setting the building on fire. Like, right. There's no, there's no tomorrow for him. Uh, he's, he's just got to solve this problem right now. And, this is his first time, like, uh, why the fuck do I have to do this? You know, why Why am I in this position? That's what he's, that's what he's raging against God. That's, you know? Hmm, that's interesting. So I think it's... And I'll tell you why later. Okay, I, I think this, I think the spite is not against Rogo. I think he's, he's, he's like, we have to get through that door and if, I'm not going to be able to make it. I mean, this is Moses' moment. Moses doesn't make it to the right. promised land, right? So he sees the promised land, but he never... Huh, you know, I guess so. I never thought about it that way. Um, of course, uh, Moses has other reasons why he doesn't make it to the promised land, but uh, pride has part to do with it. Um, but yeah, he like... The thing is, is that when he's hanging there and he turns himself around to see everyone... And Rogo's like like not there, but he makes this kind of like face where he's like, "You tell Rogo that," and then he like dies, in in a fairly quick fashion, and it was it felt more like despite Rogo than anything else, <laughs> and you're like, oh, "Man, come on!" I don't know. I didn't get that. I didn't get that. Although red buttons, then. at least try to maybe like. Swing yourself back to the. Thing. No, he wasn't gonna be able to do that. I think that's what the grunting right, was. Is like, I don't, I don't. I mean, his hands must be tired. Yeah, he was gonna he give up. Strength at that point. Had... But I think it's like I have no way to get back. I've got no choice but to. But to die. The fire. Yeah. I mean, again, his speech was awesome. It, it, no question, that was actually a very powerful speech yeah. to God. And, and and how he died personally, I just uh, when it, at the very end it felt more like fuck you, Rogo. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like wait a second, that kind of goes against what everything. Well, just Martin said. Red Buttons turns on Rogo then on board nine is like you've done nothing but beef and complain, always negative, always destructive. How about doing something positive for a change? Are you going to go out with a whimper on your belly? That was a little but unfair. yeah, at the he same time, Rogo's up. not entirely wrong. <laughs> you know, so I, I never know where this movie is like, what it thinks, you know? Well, the, the, the thing, the line that gets tossed at Rogo multiple times is, that's you, always by the book. And like, yeah, and it, exactly. Well, it never seemed appropriate. Don't follow the doctor. Don't follow the people who work on the boat. Do your whatever you feel is right, you know, kind of thing. Or um, because he doesn't want to lift a Christmas tree or like he doesn't... <laughs> Don't take off my wife's dress even though the dress would kill her if she stepped on it wrong. I always buy the book. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Like I weird. have to take off my shirt to give her this shirt? <laughs> yeah, you know. But then, so Hackman dies... 
They get in the engine room. They 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 get in the engine room, and then there's that moment. They need Borgnine because uh, those big beefy arms. He's got a those big fucking beefy arms, turn man. That wheel. He's, I don't think I could do it. I gotta hand it to him. He's strong as an ox. That guy, not just in the story, but in real life. And he's uh, like 55. Then, he's in his mid 50s. Is he? Yeah. My God. And Hackman's already 40. It's 1972. Hackman's already 42 years old. I saw this and I'm like, did he ever look young? And then I looked it up like, oh, he wasn't young. Like, yeah, he, you're, yeah that, that is a fantastic point you made. Why is he so great? Like, why, why do we love him so much? But we do. Uh, there's, uh, there's a comedian, Brendan Walsh, who for... I've seen him at least three times in the L.A. area open a set with saying... Hey everyone, how you doing? Did you hear today that uh, Gene Hackman died? And the whole place goes, <gasps> and he goes, "Yeah, no, he didn't." But that's how much he means to all you guys. <laughs> <laughs> just think about that. I just want to let you know that's how much he means to you. <laughs> and he still does. <laughs> he still does because I can't think of anyone that would make everyone go, "Oh my god." But yet he hasn't done a movie in how long? He's retired. Oh, yeah. He's retired. Oh no! So so they make it to the promised land, the to engine room, where, and then Borgnine. Then they hear people on the hull. Yeah, clatter, and then the welding, the arc welding begins to kind of cut the cutter to cut them out, yeah. and Borgnine says something that I think is what was supposed to be for America <laughs> and the world is when he says, there is somebody up there. The preacher was right. <laughs> so obviously they are unmistakably talking about God yeah. at that point. Right. And, but more so than that, when he said that, I went, ugh. But then... When they were all staring at the welding light, that's when I was affected. So that I was thinking when about it that. was like looking at the light of God, when it was looking at salvation coming straight. Out. That's when I, like, I rolled my eyes at Ernest Borgnine's role line, but then when they were all, when Borgnine himself was staring at that, that's when I got all weeby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's the most fundamental image like the most fundamental cinematic image is a bunch of people all looking at the same thing like close-ups of faces well, all that, looking at the same thing that's what spielberg made his everything about spielberg is richard dreyfus always said that spielberg that if he was going to write a book about what it was like working at with spielberg it would be uh, called looking up at the sky in awe at nothing, <laughs> because that's what acting was like under Steven Spielberg. You would just everyone's be looking up at the sky. And you know, there'll be something cool up there. Just look at it like it's the best thing you've ever seen. You're like, oh. There's that YouTube video that went around that was like this video essay of um, of the the key moment or the key element of Spielberg is. The, they call it, I think they call it the Spielberg look, and it's it's yeah. these looks of awe. But they don't they don't narrow it down that it's awe. Like 
awe is just what Spielberg movies are about. <laughs> as much yeah. as anything. Yeah. But they. Much as anything. But this video it drove me nuts. Uh, how it was. It was talking about the, the, the gaze of characters looking off like that was like the Spielbergian thing. And like, no, that's everywhere. That's like, that's. That that goes back to the close up, right? Uh, yeah, it, every movie is people going. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's something. Except sometimes it's, you know, it's shock if it's Hitchcock or it's Revulsion if yeah. it's Cronenberg uh, 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 or something. You know, it's like you, you, right? You know, it's 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 the fact that it, it's awe over and over. And fuck again you, the, re- the reaction Spielberg. shot is way more powerful than what you're looking at anyway. Yeah, so right. Whatever. And it's the, you should you know, be happy for it. <laughs> and when you cut to a bunch of faces all looking at the same thing, like that, that's what the audience is doing in that moment. I mean, it's like it's reflective of, of the act of right, up, exactly of the act of voyeurism. So I, uh, anyways, that's not a Spielberg convention for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> and Leslie Nielsen as the captain. <laughs> I was happy to see that. It does just kind of end, doesn't it? They just it? get in the copter and boop. Boop. They're over. Yep. No, not it's even like over. A, another helicopter shot of the... I mean, I don't um, know what I would want more from it, but it just kind of like ends. Like, right. They got out. It happened. <laughs> it happened. They all lost somebody. Everybody lost something except for Robin. Everybody and, lost. Robin and Susan both get out. But they'll be traumatized for the rest of their lives, so that's... Yeah, they lost psychological stability, innocence. but in a sense. Did they have parents on that? No, the parents uh, were not on the ship. There's the whole... Mm, well, the the uh, shove it, shove it, shove it scene. We learned that, <laughs> that uh, their parents uh, just they stuck them on a boat and sent them away. So, at this point, I'm going to ask... Does Hackman's character have an arc? Uh, let's see. Well, does he change at all? I don't think he does. I don't think he does either. I mean, I think he. I think we find out, I, like, what his sermon was all about in that last moment, though. I yeah. think. I I think, like, why does he? Why does he act like such an asshole? If the movie asks the question, why does he act like such an asshole? Which I don't think it really right. does. I think it just, like, he's a leader who takes charge, and that's what the people need, and he rises to the occasion, is how it's kind of sold. But if the movie had asked, why does he act this way? <laughs> then here's where we find out why. He's angry at God. You know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 it becomes clear that he's fucking angry at and God. And maybe this is when he admits that, it to himself, you know. Which is, and then and this is part to it. The movie's credit is that it you realize that that became clear that that was clear in his first scene that he was angry at God. But you just didn't, yeah. But you just didn't really recognize it as that. And then in the last scene, he he lays it all out. And you're like, oh, God, that's right. He's been angry at God since this is his whole thing. This is his, the core of his being. And um, 
it's really more of a revelation for us about him than it is a revelation about everything else for him, right? At that moment. Yeah, we don't know. Um, we don't. We don't yeah. know. But um, but when when it kind of came clear to me that like he's been angry at God from minute one, and it was all there. It was all there in front of me. And to be angry at God, but then also, well, subservient, the right word, obliging, or what's the right word there? Respectful still, maybe? Begrudging. To be angry, begrudgingly respectful, right? Yeah. And that left in his final moments to be like, this is fucked up, but I'm following the rules. <laughs> So you can't be mad at me, die. <laughs> um, yeah, and then like like I'm sacrificing myself for everyone here. So fuck you. <laughs> Try to send me to hell. Fuck you. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. Regardless of how I don't. Whatever that is, it was still very affecting. So um, um, to that end, I still feel as confused as I am about the whole experience. The, the Poseidon adventure, and I say adventure in quotes, <laughs> was still very uh, a rewarding experience. It's a goofy movie so, that I have a lot of affection <laughs> for. It's got some great it's ingredients a, in it. It's a, it's a goofy... And rich movie. Yeah. And I don't know if the richness is on purpose, but it's there. Yeah. 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 A lot of ingredients mixed together. They don't all go, but there's a lot uh, lot to keep your interest. Now, is this typical? Uh, I don't know. I have not... The gap in my cinematic uh, literacy... Is light on Irwin Allen. Allen. Me too. Is this typical of Irwin Allen? The only other one I've seen is The Towering Inferno. Um, you know, of his big ones. I haven't seen Earthquake as much as I love Charlton Heston. Here's the thing. I thought Earthquake was Irwin Allen. It's not. Oh, really? I swore I thought it was. I mean, I could have sworn it was. And I looked it up recently. And it's not. It's weird. The Swarm with Michael Caine, which I know a law professor I work with a lot uses a clip from that in a lot of his classes. You know, because I have to help him with his DVD every time. Does he teach B law? (laughs) (laughs) I wish he had taught B movie B law. That would have made more sense. Oh well, Lost in Space, of course. I Lost in Space was obsessed with that uh, show as a kid. Really, I never saw it. Oh, I loved as a kid. it. I knew and I knew how it. terrible it was, and I loved it. I loved everything about it. Although my Carrie loves the new Lost in Space, the one on Netflix. I've not seen it. She loves it. I can't speak to it. But it's got a. Li- Excuse me, but it's got Olivia Wilde, so it has that going for it. Well, 
I, uh, to get back to your original question, why did I choose the Poseidon Adventure? Mm. I had it in mind that if Trump won the election, I'd pick a disaster movie. <laughs> and if Biden won the election, I'd pick something just like frivolous and really fun. Like uh, the Lake Michigan Monster, which is the movie I want to do. Oh. So I had that in my pocket as my plan. And then the election happened, but it wasn't like the landslide victory I was hoping for. The decisive victory was still, uh, you know, yeah. good enough. Biden it won. It was a victory with no endorphins. We didn't uh, get control of the Senate. We lost seats in the House. I'm like, um, uh, Trump's not conceding and all these stupid lawsuits and all this bullshit. And I'm like, ah, we Biden won, but the boat's still fucking upside down. So this country's still fucked up. Trumpism's not going yeah. away. So like, all right, I'm doing the disaster movie. <laughs> so that's yeah. your answer. That's your answer, yeah. Well, we're well over the three-hour mark here, Wade. I think that's quite enough about the Poseidon adventure. Why don't we wrap up this episode? We'll wrap it up. So what have you been watching lately? What, what other things have you been watching? Let's see. What else did I watch? I watched Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, the, oh, really? the sequel from uh, 1979, starring Michael Caine, Sally Field. S star of the Swarm. Carl Malden. Oh, uh, Carl Malden. Yeah. So they're three. It opens with them on a, a, little, a little boat, a little tugboat. Uh, Michael Caine and Carl Malden are on the, uh, the crew. Sally Field has been brought aboard by Carl Malden. We get in a, a little backstory. She's a spunky little sprite um, and also a klutz. She opens the movie by breaking a window with a harpoon. <laughs> um, they come across. You don't break windows with harpoons. <laughs> Uh, actually, the opening shot of the movie is the Poseidon being knocked over by the wave. And then we see really? this little tugboat in the same storm. They come across it capsized. And So they uh, weren't Michael looking Kane, for it? No, no. He's, been, he's got some cargo he's supposed to be shipping. Oh, we get a story. As soon as he pulls into port, uh, the bank is going to be looking for to collect on the loan, on the mortgage, on the boat. Um, he just lost his cargo in the storm. He's not going to be able to pay. He's going to lose his boat. He's going to lose his whole future. Comes mm. across the Poseidon capsize, says, I'm going to salvage that. That's how I'm going to pay the bank. Oh, My first one here, I get wow. the salvage rights. Well, right at the same time, this yacht shows up with Telly Savalas, a very sinister-looking Telly Savalas. And, uh, Blofeld? Three... What's that? Blofeld? Uh, no, no, uh, I forget his, it turns out he's a Greek terrorist. Oh, um, Greek terrorist. He's got okay. three mustachioed henchmen with him who Naturally. barely talk. They're all wearing white, uh, uh, but they claim to be doctors here for, um, to rescue on a rescue mission. Um, but Michael Caine's like, oh, I have the salvage rights to this ship. And so you're going to follow my orders or you got to stick with me. Um. Uh, that's just fine. Telly Savalas is really great in this uh, movie, by the way. Oh. With a terrible, terrible script uh, for him. He's got terrible lines. His character has makes no sense Something tells whatsoever. me that Telly Savalas does ex excel when you have terrible script. <laughs> but he's pretty great. He's he, awesome. 
He does some great menace. Uh, the whole, uh, most of the cast is really good. They go inside. Um, they go in the same engine room. They go down the same catwalk with the same fire. So, like, Linda and Reverend Scott are burning up. Because uh, they, the, there's, there's no sign of anyone. Like, no helicopters, no rescue. But the hole has already been cut in the hull. So they go through that hole on the salvage mission. They're like, they're going to the purser's office. I'm so they went the to the rescuers, but like no, no one else ever bothered to follow up. Yeah, it's like no, no one's there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's no, there's no like Dunkirk uh, action happening. <laughs> no inquiry. No. Yeah. Nothing. He got the timing just right, I guess. So they're going down, back down through the ship, and like we have, uh, we got to get in and out before it sinks. Of course, Sally Field goes with for no good reason whatsoever. Um, <laughs> They quote the fact that some other ship stayed afloat for 10 hours after it capsized. This is the exact same line from the original Poseidon Adventure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they find in a Turkish bath, they find, um, uh, uh, shoot, what's the name? Body um, Snatchers? <laughs> no. Boyle. Um, Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle, who has been separated from his... Uh, Peter Boyle takes the uh, ham up the play to the Raptors hamming up the boat part. Okay. Um, he's uh, <laughs> he's the blue collar guy who's been separated from his kids. And so he's ostensibly frantic trying to find his daughter. But he, his first line is, uh-huh. oh, I've had crazy New Year's Eve parties, but that one took the cake. Something like that. Um, <laughs> he does a lot of eye rolling uh, when he really should be looking for his daughter. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, uh, oh, shoot. What was her name? Also from Hill Street Blues. Veronica Hamill. Was a passenger on the original Poseidon Adventure? Yeah, this is the yeah, this is the <laughs> fuck. This is like more passengers that didn't <sighs> get found. They were trapped in a Turkish bath. Uh, Veronica Hamill from Hill Street Blues, the love interest, and Shirley Knight, uh, Mrs. Partridge, the Partridge family, and many other things. Oklahoma, a bunch of stuff. Uh, Shirley Knight. Um, Taking a big swing at the Shelley Winters Oscar <laughs> nomination and missing badly, <laughs> badly overacting. You can't get a home run without picking up the bat. Yeah, Peter Peter Boyle and Shirley Knight uh, definitely carrying the overacting uh, 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 luggage here. And then they uh, when they find the the, the wine cellar. And in here is Slim Pickens as Tex, the Texas billionaire or millionaire who's drunk on wine. He's been hanging out in the wine cellar, drinking the wine this whole time. <laughs> and uh, oh Slim God. Pickens it up. And, and oh, by the way, with him, he almost forgot to mention is Peter Boyle's daughter and a very young... So young, I didn't recognize him at all. Mark Harmon, who looks a lot more like Mark Hamill with like his really feathery uh, blonde hair at this point. 
and uh, bright blue eyes. Mark Hamill. Wow. Uh, Mark Harmon. Or sorry, Mark Harmon. Veronica Hamill. Mark Harmon. Mark Harmon uh, is keeps making eyes at Peter Boyle's daughter, played by Angela Cartwright. And Peter Boyle is like spends most of the movie, like, what are you touching? What are you looking at my daughter for? What are you? What are you? We should moves? be drowning. Yeah. Um, unlike the Poseidon Adventure, there's a lot of stopping for no reason and just having long heart-to-hearts. Uh, and it's really not clear, like, what their objective is. Uh, <laughs> right. Wow. Um, uh, Telly Savalas' crew go off. Uh, uh, because what they're here for is they in the cargo hold is the weapons they're going to use to overthrow the Greek government because they're terrorists, including a barrel of plutonium. <laughs> Which is so secretive that when Veronica Hamill, who turns out, is working with him, she was a, the, the passenger on board, like, making sure the weapons and the plutonium were okay. She finds Telly Savalas, tells him where it is. He immediately kills her because she knows where it is. When a henchman asks, what's in this crate we're moving? He says, one other person knew the contact contents of this crate <laughs> and now she's dead and yet just a few <laughs> scenes later when our heroes come into the cargo hold Telly Savalas will pop out from behind a crate like a like an like he's in a haunted house attraction or something <laughs> and then of course reveal inside the crate like open the crate for them and show them it's a barrel of plutonium before he shoots them it's that kind of movie yeah, and then he just like is hanging around in the cargo. He's only here to get this plutonium out. He's hanging around in the cargo hold for half the movie, and then just like, even though we've seen all the travails and like obstacles they have to get to to climb down without carrying a barrel of plutonium, <laughs> it's apparently no problem whatsoever to get it back up to the engine room because the next time we see him. There's another boat that's helping him uh, haul it out. And uh, we get to have uh, some gunplay. Sally Field shoots uh, a couple of terrorists. A lot more, a lot more violence uh, uh, action in this one. They get away. Sally Field's dialogue is better than everybody else's. I'm convinced she ad-libbed all of her lines. She's great. <laughs> She's irrepressible. Well, anyway, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, don't watch it. Not worth it. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. I uh, I honestly had a lot of fun watching it. It's pretty bad. Not worth your trouble. <laughs> yeah, I thought you said, it's great, don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, never watch it. And so that, well, it's not Irwin Allen's only directorial effort. But it is certainly so. He directed Beyond the Poseidon Adventure and The Swarm, and then a bunch of TV stuff like The Time Tunnel and Land of the Giants. And apparently, he directed um, like part of the ballroom sequence, like the effects parts of the ballroom. Oh, okay. Like whoever Howard just couldn't hack it. (laughs) 
All right. Well, that's me. Uh, what uh, have you been watching lately, Wade? Well, it's funny you should ask because once you brought up the Poseidon Adventure, I watched 2006's remake, the Pos- Poseidon. <laughs> if you can believe it. <laughs> you know what they could have called the next one? What? Poseidon himself. <laughs> Yeah, they should have, honestly, because here's the thing. When I saw Poseidon, the Poseidon Adventure, I thought, I'm really surprised that this movie is about something. <laughs> oh, Beyond Poseidon Adventure, sorry, is kind of about money isn't everything. Everybody ends up leaving the money behind that they came to get in order to save other people, uh-huh. except for Sally Field. Like tied some diamonds into her shirt, and so they're they're rich after all. Anyway, all right, but it forgets to well, be about that for most of the movie. I imagine so. Well, my review of Poseidon from 2006 is the polar opposite okay. of my review of the Poseidon Adventure, which is I am not surprised this movie is about nothing. <laughs> Um, what's interesting about Poseidon in a very depressing way is that, well, through the fact that it has all new characters, but they're all worse, (laughs) um, it cemented in me when watching it, I was going, yeah, um, Hollywood producers during the early aughts were just the worst. (laughs) they're terrible horrible human beings thinking that they had to replace or update you know the the themes of this movie for the modern day so that we could relate to them so we're going to put in people that don't care about anybody but themselves (laughs) it's so all the religious aspects are gone there's no themes there's no nothing Mm-hmm. Um, both movies had 10 people trying to survive and six making it. Okay. So that's really the only similarity at all. So religion was removed because to factor religion into the story would, would have it be the basis for the conflict. But I feel that when they're trying to not make religious people upset, it's not about removing religion from the story it's about removing religion from the conflict Hmm. because it's the very conflict of religion that i think they think upsets people instead of just like well religion is just what it is it's why should anyone have any conflict with it because everyone has conflict with it (laughs) and it's perfectly natural to have conflict with it and that's fine um so religion's like hard. religion's hard Especially and it's, that it's, faith part <laughs> exactly so the fact that religious r- religion causes conflict is the part that's offensive so that means that's the reason why it has to be removed from any narrative story because narrative requires conflict right so they just totally take it out entirely i was reading a a, a pretty heartbreaking interview with josh Lucas, uh, who is ostensibly the headliner of Poseidon, um, 
in that he was talking about how after stealth and this, it basically ruined his career. Um, but he, that he had, he, he says he actually likes the eventual movie and that he wanted to do it because Wolfgang Peterson was doing it and he loves Das Boot. Um, and that he had said, I'm basically doing Das Boot here, but on a Hollywood scale. And so Lucas was like all in, but he had a bad premonition. He was like, the script's not there yet. The script is attributed to this guy named Mark Protosevich, but Josh Lucas in his interview said it was Akiva Goldsman, which that right there, you just don't go near so, because Akiva Goldsman is the worst. When you, yeah, when you said right. movie uh, execs of the early aughts are terrible, I my mind goes to the late 90s Hollywood blockbusters being the worst, um, and Akiva Goldsman is all over those. <laughs> He's all the over worst that. Movies. It's just he's he's the yeah. worst. It's yeah. just the I mean him then maybe David S. Goyer, but that's more on principle than on skill. If Akiva Goldsman's just the worst. Yeah. And um, that man has a fucking Oscar. I know it's crazy. Um. So anyway, he said that he had a bad premonition about the movie because he felt the script wasn't there yet, and there was a lot of pressure to do it from all sides and Akiva Goldsman was his friend kind of. And so he, he said, I had this bad premonition, not necessarily about the quality of the movie, but the fact that I was going to get hurt making it. It was re a relentlessly difficult movie to make. Everybody involved in that movie was hospitalized. If not once multiple times. And in the end, I took a gnarly fall was hit by a water cannon and I ripped my thumb almost clear off my hand and I had to have some very serious reconstructive surgery the day after the movie finished. But the main part was because they just didn't have a script, which is really apparent. And he said, dude, Richard Dreyfus, Kurt Russell, and myself would walk on the set every day and try to figure out what the script should be. I mean, there was no script. They spent $100 million making locations and they did, that they didn't have a script for. So we would arrive and look at the script, look at an old script that had no relation to the location we were looking at, and we would say, all right, what do we have to do to get from point A to point B? The less we say, the better. He was like, yeah, it was a real tough heartbreaker, honestly. You have guys like Dreyfus and Russell who are action masters, and both of them were saying this is the hardest thing they've ever done. <laughs> you weren't alone in the creative and physical difficulties of the movie. Everyone was getting sick from the water, and when the movie comes out, it doesn't even perform, and so that knocks you down even further. Oh, and so, like, it's, it's, it's a shit show from start to finish. Um, the fact that so many people were hospitalized for minor infections do the dirty water oh, that they were in for hours in the day is just a nightmare. Um, but excluding all that and just looking at the movie you get, it's weird that like, it's one, like nobody's likable. Like for, for Hollywood movies who are so concerned about being likable and relatable, the fact that they go so far to be like people who don't care about anybody to be relatable <laughs> is like just shows that it's made by the worst people ever. <laughs> it's it's I, I can't even convey really how. Well, one, the civility thing goes out the door because 
what's really interesting about the the the, the new Poseidon is that in the old Poseidon, everyone was Mister This, Mrs. That. Everyone kind of seemed to at least be aware of everybody on the ship. Like there was a community, and they were all expressing, addressing each other with respect. Yeah. And then in this movie, it's all they don't know anybody's names until halfway through the movie when they ask if they do. In fact, uh, the uh, Roddy McDowell stand-in is Freddie Rodriguez, who's an amazing actor, but in a completely thankless role. And because he's the one guy that's on staff, they just call him Map. <laughs> say he's the Map. We have a Map now. So come on, Map. Come on up here. Like, like there's just disrespect across the board. And like, um, there was no script, no themes, nothing. And Maybe so, because they didn't know the character's name, because they yeah, didn't know the character's <laughs> name either. But there's there's a scene in it that completely exemplifies what um, the movie does, because they had no script. The actors were trying to figure it out day to day, and so the the boy, the Robin Shelby stand-in, the little boy. He is dead weight. He does nothing. He knows nothing. He doesn't even know what he did the second before <laughs> in the movie. So, like, where in the movie he's like a sponge that has absorbed everything that is then a wealth of knowledge for Hackman to play off of. The, the main, the main, the, what ostensibly is the main character, Josh Lucas, who is introduced jogging around the, the uh, ship like... Red Buttons, and you're like, oh, well, this is the Red Buttons character. Then they're making the Red Buttons character the the lead. But then he's a, a gambler who basically just, like, swindles people out of their fortunes and doesn't want to lead anybody off the ship. He's just trying to get himself to safety, and then other people glom onto him, and he's resentful. So he's the villain? Yeah, you're like going like, why are we why are we trying to relate to this motherfucker? Hmm. So there's this really ridiculous scene where Josh Lucas is trying to find a way to get himself off the boat alone, and then the boy kind of listens to him and says he can get us off the boat, and then he's like, uh, yeah, I can get myself off the boat, but not you guys. And they're like, why are you telling my son he can get off the boat? Tell him we can just say. And he's like. Well, I can get off the boat. And then Kurt Russell's like, you got to help me find my daughter, which is actually the motivation from beyond the Poseidon Adventure, not the Poseidon Adventure, right? So right. Kurt Russell's like, my daughter and his, her fiancé, who I don't approve of, is on the dance floor, which is now above us when it was below us before, so you can get us up there. And he's like, no, I work better by myself, which just, oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, then right at that point Richard Dreyfus, who up until this point has had an interesting I will grant the movie some credit for having a gay character where the whole point of him wasn't that he was gay mm. he just had they just kind of threw in 2006 in that, that's uh, in, in, in 2000 yeah. yeah he just mentions he goes he's he's on a phone call with someone please call me please call me and then he admits to his He's a millionaire who's admitting to his table that his boyfriend isn't showing up and that he lost him. And the, no one at the table is judgmental of him. They just feel bad for him. 
And then he goes and he tries to commit suicide. And while he's trying to commit suicide by jumping off the boat, he sees the wave coming. Which, by the way, the wave just happens. There's, oh, there's no, no like tsunami. There's, there's no earthquake. There's there's no earthquake. There's no warning. There's no guy saying we need to make it there quick. So don't load your ballasts. There's no ethical dilemma that contributes to the capsizing. It just 15 minutes into the movie, the, the guy like looks over and goes, "Oh my god!" and, <laughs> <laughs> and overturns. And you're like, "This is fucking stupid." The plot and device is happening. Yeah. It's hard to. I, it is probably unfair to watch the original version of a movie followed by the remake because you're comparing one to one everything. It's probably not fair, but. You know, the captain was put into an interesting position in the first Poseidon adventure where he's kind of like Fauci and Dr. Burks, right? He's like, if I don't do what I'm being asked to do, I, I mean, then I'm going to be fired. And then I will have no control over yeah. what happens after this. So let's make someone so, else do it, yeah. He'll just make a loyalist do it, and then everyone will be fucked. I'll be faultless, but I couldn't. I can't help. Yeah. So I need to go ahead and stay with this, so I can be be somewhat at the helm a little bit of this shit show, to to be of service. So the captain makes the decision to like do the wrong thing, but to still be involved. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this, they just kind of literally go, oh, no, and <laughs> it capsizes the boat. So, so apparently Hollywood had a problem with greed being a bad thing to happen, I guess. Well, that would have required uh, script to set right, that up. Exactly. So, um, so anyway, so Dreyfus is about to kill himself when he sees the wave and it happens. And then there's this extraordinary scene where everyone kind of who doesn't know everyone comes together. And the son's the little boy who knows nothing, does nothing, says nothing, just goes, hey, you can save us out of here because I saw you looking at a placard on the wall. <laughs> and and uh, the mom's like, stop telling him you can save us. And he's like, but I can. And they're like, okay, we'll take us. And he's like, but I work better alone. I'm not taking you people. Mm-hmm. And then Kurt Russell's like, you're going to take me to my daughter. And he's like, whoa, who's your daughter? I don't know what's going on. And then Richard Dreyfus, out of nowhere, who up until this point, I was like, he's like the only good character here. He pops up and says, well, I wouldn't too much put too much stock in what the captain says. These boats aren't meant to stay up, stay up upside down too long. I know. I'm an architect. <laughs> They're like, do you build boats as an architect? And so then they all just kind of go together with Josh Lucas being oh, no, like... I'm the kind of architect who designs arcs. <laughs> right. So then, okay, here's the other thing. The captain, who is now played by one of my favorite actors, Andre Brower, is never seen not in the main ballroom. Okay. He's in the main ballroom the whole time. And then you kind of realize he says, everyone just stay here. So you're kind of like, well, yeah, I'm going to trust the captain. 
He knows the boat. But then Kurt Russell's like, fuck you, I'm going to do whatever I want. What do you know? It's like, I'm the captain. <laughs> and and um, by the way, the purser. <laughs> yeah, he's not just a purser. He's the freaking captain. But then the fact that a black man as the captain doesn't know better than some random passenger is a little weird. <laughs> it, 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 it smacks distasteful. If it was the purser or the doctor, I get it. But the captain, that was just, it, it was weird. Yeah. And so, and, and weirdly, you know, it, their demise doesn't come until like way into the movie. Like they just cut back to them and they're like, crack, everything. And then, by the way, the person who sings the song, the, more, the kind of morning after version, yeah. is Fergie. Yeah. And so Fergie kind of, yeah, 2006, she kind of sings the song and then uh, she sings my humps. <laughs> no, but apparently there's a deleted scene that shows that the captain and Fergie had an affair, which I don't see how that's relevant at all. <laughs> but they all die there later. Just not, there's no like immediate comeuppance there or any correlation drawn. It's just, well, they just die, whatever. And then um, there's horrible scenes of like, like the, the acres stand in is Freddie Rodriguez, um, who is uh, has a stowaway with him, who I think fulfills the Shelley Winters role because Richard Dreyfus's gay character is both a red button stand in and the Rosens put together, hmm. but the main Rosen character is on this one woman who's like a a young uh, Spanish stowaway who dies, but she dies in a non-heroic way. <laughs> and um, Richard Dreyfus is responsible for the person who allowed her her passage because while they're, while Freddie Rodriguez re rescues him in a way, when they're climbing up that thing, when Roddy McDowell kind of dies, they die. He dies in the same way, except the fact that there's like an elevator coming down, and Josh Lucas is yelling at Richard Dreyfus, who's who's hanging on to his hand, and Freddie Rodriguez is holding on to his foot to say, "Shake him off, shake him off, or you'll you'll both die. Shake him off." And then Richard Dreyfus has to say, "I'm so sorry," and shakes him off and kills Freddie Rodriguez. Oh, jeez. And then, this is funny because Dreyfus was going to die, kill himself just moments earlier. And then when he, Dreyfus becomes kind of the Red Buttons character to kind of help um, this, his stowaway companion through this experience, um, she admits that she was with, kind of stowing away with the guy that he just killed but then admits that it was Valentine and he wasn't that great. I didn't really know him. And so he, Richard Dreyfuss is like, okay. And that's <laughs> the end of it. So any tension that might have developed between them, yeah, never mind. doesn't matter. And so... When he um, shakes him up, they say, I'm sorry, life matters very much. Blue lives matter. And then he goes, uh, life matters very much. Um, but here's the kind of the exemplary problem with the movie and what was 
weighing on these actors' shoulders every day. There's a very long, intent, legitimately intense scene where, you know, the scene where they, they're in the corridor in the original Poseidon Adventure and they go, okay, we got to go. Where's the boy? Where's yeah. Robin? And Robin's gone and they can't find him, right? He's, he's, he's taking an upside down P. <laughs> he's taking an upside down P because propriety matters. And so, um, so they look around and they go, okay, we're going. Where's Connor is his name in this one. And so um, the writers had no idea what to do with him. Because here's what they do. They go looking for Connor everywhere. So it's Josh Lucas and Connor's mother looking for him. Turns out. Connor is stuck in this one like side room with a little like great window, right? Okay. And and the mother runs up to her and says, "Connor, how did you get in here there?" And he says, "I don't know, but the water's really high." And then there's like a 10-minute sequence of them like staring at each other, screaming that the other one's going to die and that she can't do anything about it. And Josh Lucas the reluctant hero is running or swimming around trying to find a way into this room. And the boy is screaming and screaming. And I'm sitting there going, this is interminable. It's awful. Why are you doing this to me? He can't find a way in. And he doesn't know how he got in there. We didn't see how he got in there. He had no motivation for getting in there. <laughs> and they're doing this just to watch him die. And then it gets to the point where he obviously dies. And then it cuts to Josh Lucas just appearing up under the water with him going, I saved him. <laughs> and you're like, well, how did you save him? I don't and know. So that epitomizes the movie entirely. He doesn't know how he got into his scrape and they don't know how he saved him. It's That's the movie. <laughs> and it's it's just... Uh, it's more of a realization of people not caring about what they're doing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, this might actually be an, an exemplary thing. One of the interior shots of the ship's engine room exploding in this movie mm -hmm. is the backdraft stunt experience from the Universal Studios <laughs> LA. It that's how they shot it. <laughs> they just went to the Universal stunt show and shot the backdraft thing, and that's. <laughs> well, mm. maybe uh, Wolfgang Peterson got burned out after Das Boot and the Perfect Storm. <laughs> he's just, like, yeah, he's like, hey. Well, Richard Dreyfus, much like um, uh, Gene Hackman, said. That this was a money job, um, and he just he said, he said he used the money from Poseidon to send his kid to college, <laughs> and that's it. So okay, you know what? I guess it's worth it. But literally, the fact that everyone got sick, so many hospitalizations. Yeah, that sucks. And just nothing really to show for it, and it, and it bombed. If you're gonna do that, then you have to make a masterpiece like Fitzcarraldo or something. Right, exactly. Just be like. You know, we all suffered, but it was worth it because you got Fitzcarraldo. Instead, <laughs> Poseidon is just a... Uh, uh, oh, I can't even... I mean, I'll, okay, I'll give it one thing. It was an easy watch. It wasn't like... It didn't hurt, 
but it was dumb as shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I really felt bad for everyone involved. Uh, (laughs) Oh, well, be forewarned, dear listener. Don't, uh, you can do better. You can do better. You can do better. Yes. Let us know what you chose to watch instead of Poseidon. And beyond the Poseidon Adventure, any other upside down boat movies that we should be reviewing? Mm. Let us know. You can tweet us at you watched it wrong with the letter U or uh, leave a comment on our Facebook page. We also have an email address you watched it wrong at happypanic.net. I will say the two movies I watched, other than that, were way better, which was The Way Back. With Ben Affleck and The Best of Enemies about William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal. Those two movies. Is that a remake of Wolfgang Peterson's Enemy Mine? Did he do Enemy Mine? I guess he did, yeah. Yes, then I'm going to say yes. (laughs) Great. And then uh, do you want to tease us for next episode? I would because I know what it's going to be. Yeah, I'm excited about this. I'm excited, too. I recommended this. You took it, the recommendation. You saw it. You loved it, too. We are doing The Wolf of Snow Hollow, made by Jim Cummings, writer, director, star. And I cannot wait to talk to you about this movie. Great movie. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Well, until then, we told you how to get a hold of us. So if you... During the ballroom scene, decided that you had to turn your TV upside down to make sense of the rest of the movie. You watched it wrong. Literally. (laughs) Feeling trapped in your office skyscraper? Job got you hot under the collar. Worried about earthquakes and can't stand airports? Relax. Just call Irwin Allen Travel and feel the worries cartwheel away with the booking of a luxurious ocean cruise. The SS Poseidon is the premier luxury cruise liner, the best way to experience the sea around us and under us. Dine at tables and chairs bolted to the floor for your maximum comfort. Our gourmet kitchens are equipped with the latest in open flame safety technology. Get lost in spacious cabins with amenities at the height of elegance, such as on-call ship doctors with an endless supply of suppositories. On deck, you can while away the morning by openly mocking other people's healthy lifestyle choices and barging in on crucial employee-only areas. Visit one of our onboard clergy members offering just the right amount of encouragement or castigation of your choosing. At our ship's cocktail lounge, take a voyage to the bottom of a sea breeze and dance the night away to all the latest Christmas songs. And if that's not enough adventure for you, then go beyond the Poseidon Adventure Package and take the office with you on vacation on the world's only cruise ship sporting a 150-story skyscraper on board. That's right, the SS Towering Poseidon is the next level in hybrid work vacation experiences with over 47 business centers and an action stunt spectacular performed on the top floors three times a day. Interested in beekeeping? Well, we got you covered. The SS Towering Poseidon has a vigorous bee colony on board of the most interesting new varieties. We also have a time tunnel. Book now and receive an official SS Poseidon's captain's hat free. Just send us your capsize and off you go to adventure. Nothing will even remotely feel similar to real life 
on the SS Poseidon from Irwin Allen Travel. Sponsored in part by that aquatic themed chewing gum, Dentine.